Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Sets it up. Shoots, they score! As Justin Falk crashes to the net, he deflected it in. And the St. Louis Blues have tied the game. One to one. Here's Tarasenko again. Centers, they score! Braden Shen was in front. I believe he got a stick on it. And the Blues with a power play goal have taken a two to one lead. Jordan Cairo. Cairo off to Tarasenko to Cairo. He shoots, he scores! With a screen in front of DiPietro, Cairo lets it fly from out high. Three to one, St. Louis. And the St. Louis Blues get the win. You can bring out the Zamboni. It's a three to one win in Vancouver. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Oh, boys, what a weekend it was, both in the NFL, which we'll get to later on this morning, and also in the NHL with the Blues winning two by a combined score of eight to one against Seattle and Vancouver. Listen, Alex, these weren't the best opponents you're going to face all year. Vancouver, I'm pretty sure, was without 35% of their scoring production last night, without their top four goalies last night. So you knew going in, Okay, this is one the Blues got to win. They didn't play particularly well, especially in the first period. They ended up getting outshot by like sevenfold. Don't check my math on that. I'm pretty sure that's correct. But Alex, all that matters is they got the win. Ville Husso now has won five straight. He has been outstanding. A 963 save percentage in those five games. The Blues have won eight out of ten. They're looking like the cup contender we all expected. What more can you say? You know, they, they really do look like the cup contender we all expected. And someone said that a while ago. But whatever that may be, uh, you, you, if you're going to talk about the Blues' wins, you got to start with Ville Husso, and he made the saves that you absolutely needed him to make the saves on. And you know, the, I thought the shutout against Seattle. I thought that was a good performance by Ville, but I thought that was a better performance by the defense. I mean, he made the saves when you needed him to, but man, the defense really didn't allow any high danger scoring chances. It was different last night against the Vancouver Canucks. They did have high danger scoring chances, but once again, I thought the defense did a phenomenal job of just making sure he had a clear path to those, but 
I mean, what can you say when the guy has skyrocketed to the top two in the National Hockey League in the save percentage and the goals against? It's him and Charlie Lindgren lead the National Hockey League. What does that tell you, by the way, about Jordan Bennington? What does it say when your two backups are literally at the top of the leaderboard in save percentage this year? Meanwhile, we're having conversations about, hey, what's going on with Jordan Bennington? I mean, it's Is says, that a fair question? It, it says exactly what you think it would say. Bennington has struggled this season, but... JR did a phenomenal piece on the athletic earlier today, and you could check this out um, later on, but I mean, he did break it down. If you look at the opponents Ville has faced off against, there's been a couple of really good ones, but those games he's given up three or more goals. They're still getting the win. And then it's the games like the Seattle Kraken, like the Vancouver Canucks, a depleted offense. You just need your goaltender to come in and do his job. And he did that. Unfortunately for Bennington, he has not done that. So props to Ville Husso. But man, right now, from the goaltender to the defense to special teams to the offense, everything is clicking. And this team feels like they know they're invincible. Yeah, I don't know that I can look at it and just be like, yeah, it's it's all the opponents when I, I watched... Bennington play against Arizona gave up three goals against them. So Understandably I- <laughs> so, but Bennington's also shut down the Dallas Stars. He's also shut down the Vegas Golden Knights where Husso's guy, I mean, he did well, he didn't beat the Florida Panthers, but in that game, he basically got them to what they needed to, and then yeah. Lindgren gave up three goals in that one believe he got a victory earlier in the season also, but he gave up four goals. That's the NHL right now. There's a lot of offense being scored, and Marty Baron told uh, JR that as well. You just need your goalie to make the stops when you absolutely need him to. And look, Huso made those last night. There were a couple of breakaways, a couple of odd man rushes. Bennington, when he's gone through his struggles, has been giving those up. Huso's making those saves. Craig Berube, how do you feel about Ville Huso? What have you seen from his confidence recently? Well, confidence is a big thing for any athlete, and he's got a lot of it right now, and he, he looks like it in that very calm and cool, seeing the puck really well. You know, just his whole, his whole demeanor in there. So he's doing a good job for us. He looks good. The problem is, <laughs> and I guess not really a problem, but tonight you're going to Bennington. Oh, like, I can exclusively oh, report this. All right, enough of that. Second half two. of a back-to-back. You've got two tonight. games coming up head-to-head against the Calgary Flames. So you're likely going to go to Bennington tonight. Craig Berube, how is Bennington handling this situation right now? I mean, he's a team guy, and... He understands the situation for sure. I mean, Bennington's going to be a big part of whatever we do. I can tell you that right now, just like Billy Huso is. Benner, he's worked hard in practice, and he'll be ready to go when he gets the call again. It's a big start for Jordan Bennington, man. I mean, it, so you got tonight, then you play Thursday and Saturday before you've got the all-star break. It's not really the extended Olympic break that we were anticipating because you've only got really 10, 12 days off before you get back at it against New Jersey on February 10th. But Alex, if, if Bennington doesn't look good, I fully expect that you'll see on Saturday Ville Husso back in net. And then you will have really in a four-week stretch almost two starts from Jordan Bennington. And maybe that's best for his mental state. Maybe just able to get himself a, a clean reset going into this break. But I'd kind of like to get Jordan Bennington going again here before you get to the second half of the season. Yeah, I would anticipate, of course, Bennington starting tonight. Huso getting that start on Thursday and Bennington starting on Saturday. Berube told the fast lane last week that there's a plan in place and they go off of that other than when the guy's playing hot. I think Bennington probably would have started that game yesterday against Vancouver if it wasn't for the shutout of Huso against Seattle. But you want goalies to get some playing time before you head into this extended break. I am absolutely intrigued by this. This is going to be a fascinating game game to me because Blues came out slow against Vancouver last night. They weren't the better team. Tory Krug told Curbs and Joey afterwards that it was an ugly win. 
but you got the win because Huso made the saves when you needed him to and your offense came through. Jordan Bennington has had about a week and a half, nine days to, to work with David Alexander. They've had practice opportunities, which has been crucial for him. I'm really interested of how he comes out in this one because there's two different ways this can go. Bennington can sit there and say, oh, well, he's got the net, so I might as well just sit back and let it ride because, well, he saw what happened. But he also lived what happened on the flip side of this when he was Huso and Bennington was Allen back in that cup run. And my guess, and Jordan Bennington is a gamer, my guess is he has been sitting there thinking, okay, now they've seen what Billy Huso has to offer. It's time for me to show what I have to offer. You're taking on a pissed-off Calgary Flames team that has lost, they've lost seven of their last ten games. Mm. They've dropped out of the playoff spot. And on top of it, it's a team that likes to play physically in front of your net. And that's an area that Bennington, I think, thrives under when guys like to get in his grill. So I think this is going to be a a match made for Jordan Bennington, but the defense is going to have to be there just as well. Tori Krug, I asked him the other day just why this team is performing so well, and he said, look, it's the forwards backchecking. So just as much as we like to play defense, the forwards are just as responsible in their own zone, and when they're doing that, we're winning hockey games, and that's what the Blues have been doing. they got to do it with Bennington, though. Speaking of Tory Krug, here's what he had to say about defensively what they've been able to do to eliminate the rush from the opposition of late. I think it's a twofold process, and the first is defensemen setting their gaps in the offensive zone. So uh, most people think of defensive gaps, uh, you know, playing in the D zone, but uh, it starts in the O zone, and, and when we have good gaps, we were able to shut down rushes at the blue line. And the second part of that is, is just having great forwards that are willing to, to back check and willing to put in the work on the defensive side of the puck. And I think our, our guys have done a great job of back checking and we're able to force turnovers and then go the other way. So uh, it's been good so far. Speaking of Krug, we got to talk about him and Justin Falk and what they've done as a pair this year, Alex. Justin Falk is now a plus 11 in his last seven games. The last time he was a negative player on the ice, so the Blues were outscored when Justin Falk was on the ice, was before Thanksgiving. Guys, we're damn near to Valentine's Day, and this we're talking about Thanksgiving was the last time that he was a negative on the ice. He's only been a negative three times so far this entire season, and that is at least in part because of what he's doing as a pair with Tory Krug. Alex, you mentioned this in our pre-show meeting. You look at the plus-minus leaders in the NHL. Justin Falk right now is tied for fourth at the leaderboard. Tory Krug is now 10th in the NHL and plus-minus so far this year. Those guys are forming the top pairing for the Blues. Like we talk about Colton Pareko and who's going to be his pairing. We'll figure that out, and they've got time to be able to do that, whether it's Mikola who's been playing pretty well or if they end up going out and making a move for somebody else. But your top pairing defensively right now is one of the top pairings in the NHL, and that's the Falcon Krug pairing. Yeah, and for Colton Pareko, I still feel like it's trending. I just I, – I, the numbers don't show it, but – Falk and Kruger, absolutely your number one pairing. And I think it works well because they have a different identity than what the Pareko and Mikola line have. They're bigger, they're stronger, they like to play that shutdown role, but Kruger and Falk like to play the possession type of play on their own zone. The puck's on their stick, they're going north. What's fascinating to me is if you narrow down that plus minus to just defensemen, Justin Falk is third in the NHL. The two guys ahead of them, Aaron Ekblad of the Florida Panthers, Colorado Avalanche's Devon Taves. Those two guys have a combined 68 points, plus 33 for Taze as he's got 31 points, 26 or a plus 26 for Ackblad at 37 points. 
Justin Falk is a plus 25 with 18 points. It's amazing. Which tells me he's not getting those offensive numbers. He's not picking up the assists like Taves and Ekblad. Those guys are benefiting from have the scores on the ice. But Justin Falk is not only benefiting from that, but he's also benefiting from shutting down the opposition when he and Tori Kruger playing together. It would not surprise me by the end of the season if Justin Falk is looking at a plus 30 type of player. That's just how he performs. I mean, it could be even more than that. Right now, he's on pace for plus 50. It, it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me. It wouldn't su- <laughs> it's absurd. It, it really wouldn't surprise me if you're seeing a guy. Plus, the other thing about this is, too. Chris Pronger, what was Prongs? Plus 52? Yeah, plus 52 when right, he won yeah. the Norris I, Trophy. I'm not saying that we're going to end up seeing that, but at, at this point in time, he's almost on pace to reach what Chris Pronger did in his MVP year. And the other thing about this is, too, is Falk's doing this at 22 minutes and 51 seconds average ice time. The other guys are playing 25, 26 minutes. Justin Falk is about as efficient as they come as a defenseman. Two-way player, plays physical in his own end. He and Krug have made a dynamic duo for you on the back end, which I find so fascinating because in the last two years, we've been talking about get rid of Falk, get rid of Krug, and these two guys have paid off to be your best defenseman. Listen, I'm not here to say that Petrangelo, it would have been a mistake had they re-signed him because I still believe, like, I would love to have Alex Petrangelo on this team. I'm not going to be a fraud and say that I wouldn't, but... At first, when we looked at this, it was like, oh, my God, the Blues made a huge mistake here. Justin Falk has been bad. The contract is going to be an albatross for the Blues. And you look over at what you saw with Alex Petrangelo. He was fitting in very well with Golden Knights. He was playing like 24, 25 minutes per game. Wow, what a mistake by Doug Armstrong. Hmm. I mean, I would take Petro back, but I'm not sure that the Blues, if you're talking about including the contract... I'm not sure the Blues would make that trade one for one right now. What Justin Falk has done for them this year has been nothing short of outstanding. He's every bit the player that they hoped that he would become. If you have Petro right now, you probably don't have Pavel Buchnevich. I mean, because you you figure you take out Tory Krug's contract, but you're adding two and a half million dollars with Alex Petrangelo in this flat cap. You don't have Pavel Buchnevich or Brandon Sod. One, one of those one two of those you probably two. don't make. But you that know move. what? This team looks different with one of those guys out of the lineup and having a Sammy Blay or a Zach Sanford in the lineup right now. Yeah. So for what that, for the cost that you are paying Justin Falk and Tory Krug. They're not playing like six and a half million dollar defensemen. They're playing like eight or nine million dollar defensemen, which I think is very impactful to this team's success. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show. It's 1114. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We got this one from the three, one, four. How in the world are you guys not leading off with the chiefs? Also from the six, three, six. Are you guys really starting with the NHL after last night's game? We'll get to the NFL. Don't you worry. We got plenty of Chiefs, plenty of NFL oh, we'll conversations plenty of throughout Rams. the day today. But coming up next, guess what, Alex? What's We're going to stick with the Blues. Oh! We're going to talk to the Blues insider for NHL.com, Luke Korak, about the Blues goalie situation. And I want to ask him about Justin Falk's season as well. What's he made of it? We'll talk to Lou next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. player in the world and how he won the best game in the history of the NFL coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. Yeah, that's somebody on this show picks that game correctly. 
Oh, don't worry. We'll get to that. Shot we'll see that coming up at 1130. We'll get to that. <laughs> but right now, we got to talk about the greatest goalie in the world and how he's playing for the greatest team in the world. And, and we're doing the best so beat writer in the world. With the great Luke Korak, Blues Insider for NHL.com. You can follow him on Twitter at LKorak10. He joins us via the Brown and Crippen Celebrity Line. Lou, we always appreciate the time, man. What do you think about Ville Husso just setting the world on fire once again over the weekend? Wait a minute, Alex, best beat writer in the world. Don't you think I should be checking out then? You better call on somebody else then. Man, well, you threw me doing. back with that one. No, we went, we went Lou Ball. That's the best in the world. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Good, doing fantastic, man. How are you? Good, good, good. Let's talk some hockey. I know you guys got a full slate. Man, what a crazy weekend of football. Good Lord. It was incredible, and we'll get to it. I, I promise you that much, Lou. You know I'm going to have some <laughs> Chiefs takes coming up here well, in just a little bit. Will. But, Lou, I wanted to ask you about Ville Husso and the job that he's done. He's now won five straight games. I know you've been checking in on everything that he's done at home, but over the weekend he was able to get things done on the road against Seattle and Vancouver. At this point, do the Blues just stick with a hot hand other than, of course, in the back-to-back situations? But is he playing too well to sit him? I think so, guys. I mean, you can't deny what he's doing. I mean, and Craig Berube, I I thought of something that he said yesterday, and and, and I was uh, asking him, in the uh, after the morning skate, you know, hey, you know, you've got a Vancouver team here. They're missing so many players. They're down to their, you know, what their fourth string goalie. Uh, you know, you guys know more than anybody with what you've gone through, uh, what they're dealing with here. But you can't take them lightly here, uh, can you? And first thing he says is, guys, just take a look at the standings. That's all he said, and I think that's reflective of what's going on in the Central Division. You can't afford to overlook anybody here. I mean, two points is two points. I don't care if it's against uh, Arizona or Seattle or if it's against Colorado. They all mean the same. So um, you've got to do what you've got to do here to get to, to bag these points while you can. Stay, keep your head above water because Colorado's not going away. It looks like Nashville's not going anywhere. Minnesota's not going anywhere. So as well as you're playing and as good as things are going, you're in a dogfight here. I mean, this the Western Conference is, is just an absolute gauntlet right now. I think it's pretty much said and done in the East. But, um, you know, you've got to play the guy right now that's uh, making saves for you. And right now, Billy Husso is making saves. Now, is Jordan Bennington uh, probably on the inside? Is he upset about it? Sure he is. And... He's got every right to be, and he should be. I mean, you've got a guy that's challenging him. I mean, I think he he should be able to take himself back to 2019. He did the same thing to Jake Allen. You think Jake Allen was happy about it? No, but he graciously stepped aside because this guy was making saves and getting the job done, and the team's the team was bagging points. Well, right now, Billy Huso is bagging points for you. I mean, that's, that's a game last night that uh, under normal circumstances, you probably don't come away with anything, but – Billy Huso was making saves. You come away with two points, and, you know, you get one of those ugly wins. So, I mean, right now it's uh, about the bottom line, and the bottom line is this guy's getting the job done. So, Lou, when you look at this, and a lot of people are looking at the run that Huso's doing and going back and looking what Bennington did in that run and where he overtook Jake Allen, have we hit the point where you've surpassed that for Billy Huso to where you, you have said, like, hey, this is now like a Jordan Bennington type of scenario – I guess where I'm getting at is if Bennington takes the net tonight and he performs well, is that the opportunity for Berube to go back to his number one? Or do you think they still look at it as, look, this is a two-man net now? I think you've got to look at it as a two-man net, to be honest with you. And, and you know, 
you have to look at it that way. I mean, listen, guys, w- would you want to be the Edmonton Oilers right now? I mean, the Edmonton Oilers uh, don't seem to be able to have anybody that can make a save for them. And I mean, you've got the greatest players in the world playing on that team, but you don't have somebody that can stop the puck. Uh, they won a game on Saturday, but they just came off of a seven-game losing streak. There's there's no excuse for that when you've got a Connor McDavid and a Leon Dreisaitl and some of the high-end skill they have on that team. But the Blues have not one guy, but they have two guys that can stop the puck here. That's a, that's a great luxury to have. And when you're talking about the schedule is going to start to get compressed here, you have to rely on two guys. And no, I'm not saying we're in one of those situations where Billy Huso is going to supplant and, and overtake Jordan Bennington here. I mean, it's just come down to a situation where now you've got two guys that are battling and you've got two guys that, that you can count on and rely on to get the job done for you. And Craig Ruby has said it already. We, we, you know, we, we talked to him about it recently where, you know, they have all the faith in the world in Jordan Bennington. Uh, is he going through a stretch and has he gone through a stretch this year where, uh, Maybe the numbers aren't quite where you want them to be. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at it right now, and I was looking at it this morning for goalies, and, 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 I, and I went with the barometer of 14 games. So you can exclude Huso from this because he's played in 12. But Bennington's goals against this, for goalies that have played in 14 games, his goals against is 33rd, and his save percentage is 27th. Bottom line is, guys, you've got to have better than that from the guy that you came into the season as your number one. If you include Huso in these numbers, he's number one in both categories. That's that that speaks volumes. It really does. There, there there's a big gap there, just on those numbers alone. I mean, we can get into advanced stats and analytics and all you want. Oh yeah, now you're talking my language. <laughs> Jesus, you know, Thanks, Lou. you can get into all that stuff all you want, but the bottom line is, uh, when it comes to a goalie, you need you you need to look at his goals against, and you need to look at his save percentage and. You know, when you look at it that way, Billy Husso's are very impressive, and Jordan Bennington's are, you know, quite honestly, they're pretty average. And can he be better? Yes. Will he be better? I believe he will be. We're talking to Luke Korak, the Blues insider for NHL.com. He joins us via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Lou, I did want to get you in on another conversation that we had in the open, and that's with Justin Falk and Tori Krug and what they're doing on the back end. Justin Falk is now on pace to be a plus 50 this season, and Tori Krug is on pace for a plus 40 rating and 50 points on the season. Lou, both of these guys, I don't need to tell you, came under plenty of criticism in their first seasons here in St. Louis. Can you describe to us what we're watching with the way that they've developed as a pairing for the Blues this year? I just think it's uh, it's pretty remarkable, guys. It really is. I mean, they're 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 playing well right now. And just just a note on Justin Falk. Um, yeah, everybody was uh, everybody was ready to pretty well run this guy out of town the moment that he got here. I mean, you know, the fan base saw this. Oh, this is uh, this is the first step in replacing an Alex Petrangelo, and that was never the case. Uh, but I'll tell you what, what, what I'm impressed with about Justin Falk is just his commitment to the defensive side of the puck. I mean, guys, he came in from Carolina uh, with, you know, with an offensive pedigree. I mean, this is a guy that has scored 15, 16, and 17 goals in a season, was probably their number one guy on a power play, and, and had that uh, mantra of, a, of, a, of an offensive defenseman. But he's really made a commitment to the defensive side of the puck and keeping pucks out of his net. And I think you know, maybe, you know, are the numbers reflective offensively? Sure. I mean, you know, they are down, but when you got a guy that's playing, you know, 22, 23 minutes a night and uh, he's getting put into situations where uh, I need, I need you to, 
I need you to make a stop for us on the defensive side. I need you to I need you to get the job done on that side of the puck. I think he's really made a commitment in doing that. And I think Tory Krug has done that as well. I mean, these guys these guys know each other from playing together uh, at at the World Championships. So that you know, there has been some chemistry between them before. And I think Craig Berube is something that he recognized and uh it was a work in progress in, in the beginning. There were some ups and downs, but they've really solidified themselves as a, as, a, as a solid pairing. And how everybody talks about, you know, you got to have these big mammoth defensemen that can be a shutdown pair. It's pretty good for, for a couple of guys that may be considered undersized. And obviously, Tory Krug is a guy that's undersized. But, boy, they've really gotten the job done. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've told you guys in the past that, Sometimes that uh, plus minus number can be, you know, really skewed. But when you look at it over an entirety of a season, there there needs to be something said for it. And you know, by their play, it, it certainly is reflective. And uh, they're they're going to need these guys uh, moving forward because, you know, Colton Pareko and Nico Mikula, they're coming into their own, and we're seeing some good stuff from those guys. But boy, when you really got your top four going the way the Blues do right now. Um, uh, it's no surprise why uh, this team right now is uh, putting points on the board. So, Luball, we, uh, we've officially surpassed the halfway point of the season with 41 games last night. So much comes out of what they've done in 41 games, the adversity, the coaching staff, the offense, the goaltending. But what's been the one thing that has stuck out to you about this team in the first 41 games? I just think the balance that they have on uh, on the offensive side. I mean, you know, you don't have anybody with uh, Alex Ovechkin or Chris Kreider type numbers as far as goal scoring. I mean, look at how balanced they are. Jordan Kairou, 16. Barbashev, 15. Buchnevich, 15. Tarasenko, 14. They spread the wealth. I mean, you know, it, it amazes me sometimes, guys, when uh, we're tweeting out line combinations. And I, I noticed a couple of days ago, you tweet out a line with Saad, Thomas, and Cairo, and people are freaking out. Oh my God, Thomas and Cairo is your third line, guys. That's not how you. That's not how this team operates. Uh, just just because just because they're listed as a third line group doesn't mean they're going to get third line minutes. I mean, they balance things out so well, and and the fact that they're able to plug and play guys when you're missing some of your top end guys, they were able to bring people in from Springfield, and real. I don't want to say not miss a beat, but boy, really getting the job done. So uh, as far as the forward group is concerned, it's probably as deep as I've seen. And that's been very reflective in the numbers, not just offensively, but the commitment that they make on the defensive side of the puck as well. To that point, 11 players scored a combined 18 goals in the two games over the weekend for the Blues. Not a bad two-game slate for St. Louis. He's Luke Korak. Find his work in HL.com. You can follow him on Twitter at LKorak10. Lou, we always appreciate the time, man. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk to you again soon. Anytime, guys. Take care. See you, Luke That's Luke Korak joining us here on 101 ESPN. To his point about the forward, and I tweeted this out last night, and I know we've talked about it at nauseum this season, but I was really uh, impressed by this number. There are four teams in the NHL that have nine or more players with 20 or more points. It's the Blues, the Panthers, the Avalanche, and the Golden Knights. And those three other teams are, in everyone's mind, Stanley Cup favorites. If those are... The Blues have to be. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're right there with them. Earlier today over on ESPN.com, there was an article from Greg Wyshynski, our buddy, who said if he was placing a bet right now on anybody to win the Stanley Cup, he would place it on the St. Louis Blues because their odds are too long for what they've been as a team so far this season. They've 
legitimately played like a Stanley Cup contender so far this year, and I expect that to continue tonight. Blues versus Flames pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario coming up at 7 o'clock. We'll have the puck drop for that one coming up tonight at 8. 6578 always the Air Comfort Service text line. We've got questions and answers in about 15 minutes, but coming up next, who baby. That was a fun one last night, boys. we got to talk about it. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. still have time to get the field goal, but it looks pretty grim there. What, do you have any special advice to Pat right there? Do you have any words for him at that point when Buffalo took the lead for the last time? Yeah, when it's grim, be the grim reaper. Here's Rush for Mahomes throws. Kelsey open inside the 40. Breaks the tackle and down at the 30-yard line. Timeout. Kansas City. Three seconds to go. They put themselves in position to send us to overtime to keep the season alive. Good snap. Good hold. The kick is on its way for Butker. It is good. We're going to overtime. We're going to overtime in Kansas City. Holmes gets the shotgun snap. Pumps, throws for the end zone to Kelsey. Adjusting, makes the catch. Touchdown. Travis Kelsey with a touchdown in the back right corner of the end zone. Kansas City wins it. 42-36 in overtime. It is so unbelievably rare that a game with that kind of lead up, Alex, actually lives up to the hype. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It reminded me so much. The best college football game I think I've ever seen was the 2005 National Championship game between USC and Texas. I remember leading up to that game, there was a countdown on ESPN of the greatest college football games that we've ever seen. And they also did a countdown of the greatest college football teams that we have ever seen. And USC and Texas from 2005 were both listed prominently on that list. And so it became a a lead up that almost it was like, there's no way the game could possibly live up to the hype that we've already attributed to it. And it did. It was the greatest game I've ever seen, and it was two teams that were on a collision course all season long to play one another in that championship game. That's what this felt like. All season long, we've all said it's the Bills and it's the Chiefs, and we saw it last year in the AFC championship game. There was the picture of Stephon Diggs standing on the field watching the Chiefs celebrate, and then he said afterwards, I just never want to feel like that ever again. And so it led into this game last night. Well, we're all saying to ourselves, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be so much fun to watch Josh Allen take on Patrick Mahomes. And Alex, somehow, some way, the actual game, what we saw, was better than anything I could have asked for. Like, the last two minutes of what we saw that last night, although the entire game was amazing, the last two minutes was maybe the greatest two-minute stretch in any football game I've ever watched. And I don't think I'm overstating that. That was unbelievable from start to finish, but in particular in the last two minutes of regulation. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I mean, I was getting set for pregame last night, and even on pregame, I just needed to keep telling myself, don't say Chiefs or Bills in the (laughs) middle of my broadcast because it's like I'm watching this game because there's so much fascination into it. Watching Mahomes and Allen, watching those two defenses just, I don't want to say combust, but I mean, just to allow that type of 
openness in regulation and then in overtime. It's just fascinating to me, but it it did exactly what we expected it to do. We said last week, I expect this to be the new or the, um, the Brady and Manning in the AFC. And that honestly surpassed Brady and Manning, in my opinion, because they can't play like that. Those two quarterbacks led their teams in rushing. Brady and Manning could never add that element. And and that's the thing that separates these two guys. And I'm not saying they're better, but they're more dynamic. And to me, it's more fun to watch when you've got that element. I'll say they're better. I mean, down the road, like Mm. at the end of their career, I really wonder. I don't know if anyone's going to catch the amount of Super Bowls that Tom Brady has earned. But Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, as great as they are, and look, they are two of the best that I have ever seen play. But they also relied a lot on their team. And I'm not saying Mahomes and Allen doesn't do that, but the fact that Josh Allen was able to scramble out of a potential sack when it was fourth and 10, like two years ago. I was so mad watching that. Oh, my God. God. Like two years ago, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, oh, there goes Josh Allen, right? That's when he falls down as if he tries to just throw the ball out of the end zone or out of bounds. And I'm thinking, what are you doing here, Kyler Murray. (laughs) The Kyler Murray special. And the dude (laughs) does three or four twists and turns and gets himself a first down. Peyton Manning and Tom Brady are never able to do that. They could win it with an arm, but Tom Brady and Peyton... I'm getting confused here. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, their ability to not only see down the field, but also create that space with their legs. It's the best I have ever seen. And what makes it better for me, too, is I agree. It's more dynamic to watch when both guys can scramble around. As they age, they're going to be perfect passer Pocket, pocket passers. passers. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, they're not going to stop talking for a couple of seconds. <laughs> yeah, they're they're not going to lose it as they get older. I mean, this is brewing into that Manning versus Brady where you're going to see it every year. They're scheduled to play each other next year because they both finished first in their uh, division. So, uh, I mean, that was if that's what it's going to be every time that these teams meet up, maybe not so much in the regular season because at first half I was like, man, these defenses are holding up. Surely they can't keep those guys contained for long. And they did. Now, granted, it took – so you get to the two-minute drill, and I said heading into overtime, just run your two-minute offense. Nobody will stop you. But, I, I mean, that was the best game I've seen. And, I mean, I'm not even sure there's anything close to lives up to it. I, I was around during that Rose Bowl game, but I don't remember it. I was only like two, three years old. So, <laughs> it, it was, I mean, you can rewatch it now. It was incredible. It still lives up to the hype that it had at the time. The 25 points scored between the Chiefs and the Bills in the final two minutes of regulation is the most in any playoff game in the Super Bowl era. Um, if you're looking at what those quarterbacks did last night, it was the first playoff game we've ever seen in NFL history in which both quarterbacks threw for at least 300 passing yards, three touchdowns and zero interceptions. It was also the first time that both quarterbacks going up against each other led their respective teams in rushing. Tony Romo was every bit as excited as all of the rest of us were watching that game. Here's what he said afterwards, trying to recap what we just witnessed. You just witnessed as good a quarterback play we just won't see this again for the environment, how huge this was. Me and Jim were over here just like, what are we watching? And it played out that way. We knew it was a quarterback duel, but how many times did it not live up to it? Today it did. This was a treat for the whole world. I mean, for football fans out there, these guys, they left it all on the field. We got a text, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 217. Didn't everybody previously say that Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson was going to be the next Brady and Manning? Are we going to do this every two or three years and change the people out depending on what the situation is? <laughs> no. See, this is this is something that I do find interesting, though. 
I read a great piece by Kevin Clark of The Ringer. This was last week leading into this game. I do think things have changed in a way that now it's like five-year cycles. I think most of the quarterback rivalries are going to be more similar to what we saw between Kaepernick and Russell Wilson, if you remember that one where it was like a really heated four- or five-year stretch where those two were clearly the best teams and the best quarterbacks in that division, and they went up against each other so often that it became a legit rivalry between Carroll and Harbaugh, and then it filtered down to the teams as well. I think that you're going to see a lot of that where it's a five-year stretch where right now we're in the thick of things for the Chiefs and the Bills. And I think it's going to stay that way for the next few years. After that, I have no idea because I don't know what the teams around them are going to look like. Things change so quickly in today's game. I wouldn't have said five years ago that the Chiefs and the Bills are going to be the next big rivalry in the NFL. That being said, these quarterbacks are so damn good that, yeah, I, I do think if there is one that could rise to that level, it's this one. Because Josh Allen, guys, I was super critical of him coming into this season. I still have legit questions about him. Those are done. There are no more questions about Allen being a legit tier one talent. He is, you want to put him in the same class as, or right below, Mahomes and Rodgers and Brady and all of those? Absolutely. He deserves to be in that category at this point after what we saw him do last night in the biggest of moments against the best possible opposition. He was unbelievable last night. And the only reason he lost, the only reason he lost is because the dude on the other side was just a slight tinge better. 13 seconds was too much time. It's never happened before in the last 21 years of playoff football. We have never seen a team come back with that little time remaining on the clock to be able to kick a game tying or game winning field goal. Mahomes is just the only guy that was going to do it in that spot. So credit to Josh Allen. We do need to talk about the second component to this, though, and Tanner mentioned it. The overtime rules are going to come under scrutiny today, and for good reason. In twenty nine or 2018, that postseason, we saw something similar, where the Chiefs were playing against the Patriots. Chiefs were at home. They go to overtime. Patriots get the ball. Patrick Mahomes never sees the field after he had an unbelievable second half, one of the best second halves we've ever seen by a quarterback. And yesterday was the opposite. Patrick Mahomes able to tie the game at the end of regulation. Josh Allen doesn't get to touch the ball in overtime. And everybody on Twitter afterwards said the same thing they did back when the Chiefs played the Patriots. This is unfair. Why didn't Josh Allen get to touch the ball? Guys, the Chiefs tried to change this rule. They went to the NFL and said, this is not the way that it should be done. The other team should get an opportunity. I'm fine with changing the rule. Here's the thing, though. We can't just say change the rule. Then what? Let's say that the Chiefs score there the same way they did. And then we decide to keep playing and the Bills get the ball and they score. Now, what do we do? Are we just playing a 10 minute overtime? Are we doing it? where after that. Then it is sudden death. Is that considered to be fair? We got to continue to play this thing out to decide, okay, what is the logical end point here? How do we continue this to the point where, okay, it's fair and both teams get possessions, but then what do we decide to do? That's what the league's got to look at. I mean, I know the whole thing coming into this is if you don't like it, play better. And, you know, if you don't like it, then Buffalo make a stop on defense and you get the ball back. But that's kind of how I viewed it, especially when you have such a good matchup like that. If you're going to have the rule with the field goals where, you know, if a team doesn't score a touchdown and they kick a field goal, then the opposite side gets that opportunity. I think you do with the touchdown as well. And you're right. What do you do after that to make it fair? Look, if Buffalo gets the ball and they score a touchdown, then it actually becomes sudden death. Then it actually becomes is that considered to be fair then, because then the chiefs would get that extra possession, which is the exact same thing as if they just got the possession to open things yeah, up. Yeah, But I think if both sides get an opportunity to possess, 
possess the ball, then both sides defense should have had the opportunity to make a stop. And if they don't make the stop, then you go back to that and say, look, both defenses had the opportunity. You on each that side of the ball. I could make the same argument about the beginning of overtime where the, if the, if the bills get any stops in the last two minutes, well, then they don't even have to play for overtime. And I could make that exact same argument there. Uh, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I just, I think some of the logic that people use for why we need that extra overtime period I think it becomes a little faulty when we actually start kind of diving into, okay, I think they deserve one opportunity, and if they tie, then it's sudden death. Well, that's basically what the overtime is for regulation at that point. Yeah, but it just it just stings a little bit when you have such a good game like that, and it ends without seeing the other side get an opportunity. I get that completely. And that's why there's got to be some type of way to figure it out, and I don't know what it is, because any way you go with this, somebody's going to complain that it's not fair, and the other side, you know, everyone's going to whine that it's not fair. I loved everything about that game. It ended the way it did, and I, for one, as a fan, was ecstatic just because it was a hell of a football game. But I do see where people's coming from because the fact that Josh Allen did not get an opportunity to possess the ball feels like a little bit of a robbery from a fan's perspective. Totally get that, and I am in full agreement. Like I, I want to be very clear. I understand that I'm a Chiefs fan, so everybody's going to hear this, and they're going to say, oh, you're whining. No. No, I agree. Like you I, do it. I think that the the the... NFL's overtime rules are flawed. I also hate college football's overtime rules, though. I think See, it's I like super, college football. But it's super gimmicky, and it ends up becoming a two-point contest. Like that That's basically a shootout for college football. This is a good way of looking at and, it. And that's the same thing that I I hate in the NHL as well with the shootouts. Like I, I just think that there's not a great way to do this. I, I like this from the 3-1-4. Play until the time zero. And then that's what, what do we do like, in soccer? So, so here's the problem. A, you've got injury concerns at that point, and you're about to have to play uh, the following week at a playoff game where the NFL is trying to market its stars, and we're going to play another extra quarter after these guys are exhausted in a super physical game at the highest of high levels. I, Hockey players do it for seven games, four, I, four rounds. I, I understand it. Six I, or seven overtimes. <laughs> I, I don't know that that's something that the league is going to be looking into yeah. for right, wrong or indifferent. I, I just you got to do something, though, if at because the end of that quarter, you're still tied. Now we got to go to another quarter or does then it become a, a sudden death? Then like it, it becomes sudden death there. It just becomes very difficult. Like you had 60 minutes to determine this outcome. Eventually, we got to decide who's going to win this game, man. Yeah, but you can't determine it off of a field coin goal toss, kicking though. contest. Here oh, we go. Yeah, put everyone de- at the 50 for, yard line for and what kick it's a worth, field goal. Less than 50 percent of the time. The team that gets the gets the coin flip in their favor ends up actually scoring the touchdown on that opening kick. So it it doesn't affect the game as often as you would expect it to, like by the numbers. But when Patrick Mahomes is on the other side, I think we all know what's exactly. And I would have felt the same one on the other side. If the Bills got the ball first, I think the Bills would have also I mean, scored a touchdown. Won that coin toss was going to win the game, and yeah. I thought that heading into that. Go so. back to middle school. Just go instead of eleven on eleven, go seven on seven. With well, Alex Ferrario football. and Taylor Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 13 minutes, 13. the latest Ferrario 5. Alex has his five takeaways from the first half of the Blues season as we are officially exactly halfway through the season. We'll get to that at the top of the hour. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 
65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. This one comes from the 636. Hey, boys, who all from the 101 ESPN crew is going to be at Helen Fitzgerald's on Sunday? I'm glad you asked. 101 ESPN's championship bash is going down on Sunday at Helen Fitzgerald's. You can join all of us, Car Shield and Bud Light for the AFC and NFC championship games. You can enjoy tons of TVs to watch the game, food, drinks, music, a bunch of giveaways throughout the day, including, how about this, Alex? A new grill, some jerseys, tickets, plenty more. The bash kicks off at noon with a live pregame show leading up to kickoff at 2 o'clock. We hope to see you next Sunday at Helen Fitzgerald's for this year's championship bash. It's all brought to you by Car Shield and Bud Light. I I need a new grill, grill, actually. So am I I eligible? You guys are both completely ineligible. It's only for the listeners. Okay. Well, so I apologize. That's, um, that's not but cool. But if you guys, if you all the listeners are able to come out there, you could potentially win yourself a nice new me. grill. That's right. You could or potentially T-bone. gift it to Alex Ferrario. No, T-Bone doesn't need it. T-Bone doesn't have a grill at all. You well, guys are planning on going out there on Sunday, right? Yeah, I'll well, be there, yeah. I, I was only going to be there at the beginning, but since the reschedule of the uh, Blues game, so now I get to be there. I don't think I'm. Oh, shoot. The Chiefs play the first game this year. Oh, well, I guess BK's not going to be there because oh. he's got to sit at home in his, oh. uh, in his Kansas City Chiefs. I can't watch this game in public, dude. After what I went through last night, I was a wreck, an absolute wreck last night. I was when Tyreek Hill did the peace sign. I have never been so mad at anybody in my entire life. I thought 100% they were going to call that a taunting. Yeah, why it, didn't they? Oh, I, I have no idea, and I'm not mad about it. I but am. if I'm a Bills fan, I'd be furious they today. They shouldn't have won. Well, they shouldn't have won. That touchdown should have been called back. You think they weren't going to score on the next play? No. After the way that of they were playing, they, didn't have, they didn't have enough time. <laughs> I was furious that Tyree killed that moment. I will Because they could have taken it on the extra point. And if they did, like, Bucker was liable to miss that extra point the way that he was playing last night as well. So You know what? You're a homer. I'll say it. Nobody else is going to. I, what? <laughs> I'm just saying that we're going to miss the extra point. I don't understand. That's it. I'm done. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's get to this one from the 314. Hey, guys, is it just me, or do you feel like the Cardinals are going to waste having Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt under contract? Do they still need to make at least one more big move before you really buy into this team as a legitimate contender? I mean, maybe I'll let you guys speak first because we all know where I'm at on this one. Kyle Schwarber. I was going to say, I know Nelson Cruz, baby. Nelson Nelson Cruz is old, and we saw what happens when athletes are old yesterday in the Buccaneers game. They come back from 27 to 3 down. Did he win? Did he win? No, he did not. But that was his defensive fault. I don't know know about that. I disagree. I I don't know. That's tough to say because what's your version of wasted? Is it just not winning a World Series? I'm assuming. And I guess technically, yeah, they might waste Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arnato. I think they can win a World Series. I mean, they should be contenders this year, but they're not going to make the big move. So maybe they'll be all in that second tier. I don't think the National League's as deep as it won, as it was last year, at least so far, that is. 2023 should be that year that they should be able to make that full-on push because we're going to get to see what Gorman, Yepes, uh, Libertorio will see a little bit of, Brendan Donovan. I mean, you should see what those guys look like this year. You would expect them to take that next step. You've got Carlson developing, Bader O'Neill developing behind them. And, hell, you could see Jordan Walker in 23. So, right now, I'll say no, they won't waste. Technically, right now, I think they have. 
but I think they have a chance to be legitimate World Series contenders the next two, three years. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to waste it. I, I mean, I think they're they're already in a really good position with this roster. Like T-Bone said, maybe you wasted the first couple of years of it, but sometimes it's hard to, to put together that roster and especially be patient with the younger outfielders. But I mean, they got Arenado, they got the outfielders, they just spent money on Steven Matz, and they got these guys coming up through the roster. So I still think that they need one more bat if they want to be a World Series contender and to put themselves in a position if they were to get a Kyle Schwarber I think that they would probably become one of the World Series favorites but I don't think you're wasting Paul Goldschmidt right yeah, now. next year's the year if they if they don't go big next offseason then yeah you've, you've potentially got an issue but this year they don't have to make another big move but if they don't they got to be prepared to go make a big move at the deadline uh if you've got a team that we all think they can be in 2022 this is probably a team that's going to need to add at the deadline. Final one here from the 314. Guys, do you think that the Bills should have squib kicked it at the end of the game? It felt to me like Sean McDermott blew it in that moment. You know, I asked myself that last night. And I mean, here's the thing, though. You do a squib kick and you do it incorrectly. You're putting them in a better position. And they drove down the field off the what? The 25 yard line. So they were, I mean, they were going to drive downfield no matter what. And what would you have taken off on the squib kick? Three seconds, four seconds, maybe. I don't know if it would have made that much of a difference. Patrick Mahomes, he knows how to get the job done, and he did so. So I, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you, Alex. I thought they should have kicked it deep personally just because that way you prevent any sort of return. And I know yeah, on a swim kick, they probably catch it, take the knee, just to waste two seconds. But the Chiefs were so dynamic that they could have easily taken a squib kick and re- returned it back to the 50 with five seconds or whatnot. So I didn't have an issue with it. I just think the defense needed to play a lot better than it did in 13 seconds. I thought you got to squib it there. I think even if it is only two, three seconds that you're able to take off the clock, that's two or three seconds that the Chiefs needed. They wouldn't have been able to play to run two plays prior to the field goal if you've taken that time off the clock. The only reason they were able to run two plays is because they had that extra three to four seconds available to them. So, yeah, I, I think you had to run a squib kick there. I was really surprised when they didn't. Very surprised when they didn't do that. But you also might have lost some field position there. So it, it's six to one, half a dozen to the other. At the end of the day, you, you got to be able to get a stop. I mean, yeah. you, you can't let... Tyreek Hill go underneath for 20 yards on the first play and then you cannot let Travis Kelsey we're watching it again the replay right here he can't get inside leverage like that they have two timeouts remaining if you're the Bills that was the problem why are you playing such outside leverage with the when when they have two timeouts if they've got no timeouts there absolute correct way to play it they had two timeouts just bad situational football by the Bills with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. we'll get more into the other games from the weekend coming up in 15 minutes or so and from what I understand Alex put together a beautiful open on just how great all of my picks went this weekend so we'll do that in about 15 minutes or so but Alex is featured next Ferrario five what are the five biggest takeaways from the Blues first half of the season he'll tell you next on 101 ESPN we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in about 15 minutes my picks for the weekend were excellent you get to hear just how great they were coming up in 15 minutes but Alex 
this seems like a great time to dive into the five takeaways as we are officially finished with the first half of the St. Louis Blues season. And you know what that sounds like to me? There's five takeaways and it's all the same. Stanley Cup, here we come. T-Bone, hit the open. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario Five, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. Wish it was a T-Bone 3. No, honestly, how good this team is. A T-Bone 10 would have been perfect. That's actually really true. Or a BK, uh, you BK buildup. BK buildup. Wow, that was the worst one we ever come what, up with. What are we going to build up? Nothing. We're never building anything up. Maybe it's great. So. Maybe, the tires. maybe it's great yeah. picks from the NFL week. Anyway, five we'll takeaways ten minutes. from the first half of the season. You're now 41 games completed. You're 25-11-5. Honestly, you could go everywhere with this, but there were five that really stuck out to me and talked about this on postgame a little bit. Number five on this list is special teams. So as it currently sits, the Blues have the second best power play in the National Hockey League and the fourth best penalty kill in the National Hockey Seems League. Seems good. Very good. If you go back through this season, there were 10 situations that the Blues had a penalty kill when it was a one goal lead the final minutes of a hockey game. And then the final 10 to 5 minutes of a hockey game, kind of that that borderline stretch where crunch it's impactful. time, if you will. Thank you. BK Buildup coming in hot with the crunch time. Blues killed all of those off. Like, it is impressive what the penalty kill has been able to accomplish. And you look at it again last night, four for four, and you killed off a five on three for two straight minutes. Guys, any guesses on uh, how many cup winners over the last decade had a top five power play and penalty kill? Top five power play and penalty kill as the Blues do currently. In the last 10 years? Last decade. Uh, I'm going to say one, Bob. Spay a new to your cats. Bob Barker. <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, of go. course you don't. I'll go two. Don't you price zero. Right well, zero. The Blues would be the first in the last decade. Well, I didn't go back any further than that, but that's as far as I this? can tell you. How about this? So I, I went and looked to find out the last time the Blues have had a top five special teams in a season. Power play and penalty yes. kill in an now, individual season. Now, now, here's the thing. Of course, you're only 41 games through, and there's still 41 more games to play. But the last time Maybe they, they had it. number one on both. Could be. Last time they had it was 1998-1999 season. Damn. They were third best on the power play and second best on the penalty kill. Think about who that team had. Pronger and McKennis. Like, like to have two Hall of Famers on defense and for what the Blues have accomplished right now, it's massively impressive. So that was the fifth thing that I was impressed by so far in the first 41 games of the season. The fourth thing is the coaching staff. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for what they've been able to accomplish. Craig Berube, we all know how sensational he has been with this Blues team. But I'm looking more at what Montgomery, Ott, Alexander, and Mike Van Ryan have done as assistants. Mike Van Ryan has completely changed the identity of this defense. We remember in November where we were saying this team will not win a cup with this defense. Honestly, I still think they need an improvement, but you can it, win a cup with this defense. In a matter of weeks, I've changed my opinion from you need a Jacob Chikrin to you just need a depth piece. They're nine and one with Scandell and Bortuzzo on your third pairing right now. Are we really going to give Scandell the credit? 
nine and one right now. No, I'm actually going to give Bortuzzo the credit. That dude is a monster right now on dude, the ice. Bortuzzo, can can we exclusively play at five on three from here on out? I no, just want to watch. Whoa, whoa! I just want to watch Robert Bortuzzo in those that situations. The BK that, that's the BK buildup. That is trash, He's my friend. He's unbelievable, man. You remember that situation? I can't even remember which game it was now. But Robert Bortuzzo was like no stick out there, just yeah. on his own. Yeah, what was it? That shots was, with his face. Was a couple of weeks ago, where he was on the ice for about a minute and forty seconds. It was one of the greatest individual efforts yeah. I've ever seen on a hockey uh, on hockey ice before. But, and then last night they did it again. Mm-hmm. They ended up being able to score right after the five on three situation, but killing that off killed that off was was amazing. Well, and look, I mean, David Alexander, the goalie coach, you know, we're going to find out what happens with Bennington, but think about for Ville Husso. He's had a lot of time off in between and he still was just named the second star of the week in the national hockey league. And we don't think about it now, but their ability to overcome all of the injuries in late November into early December when they had, and you had basically the Memphis mafia, but NHL version squad coming up to to the blues it wasn't very good and they were consistently getting points against some of the best teams in the league yeah it's not as if they were just playing against a bunch of nobodies that was when they were playing tampa and florida we thought montreal was going to be good obviously that hasn't gone so well but anaheim dallas like you were playing against quality opponents and you had Gillies and Lindgren out there, and you were dominating. Well, that fun. segues into my third takeaway from these 41 games. It's been the goaltending situation for the Blues. Greg Wyshynski of ESPN, he just put out a, a mid, mid-season report card on every NHL team. I was really surprised that the player that he said needs a reset is James Neal. I don't yeah. know where Greg was going with that one because Bennington would be the guy. But look, Bennington, that is, that I got no argument wild. That is a wild <laughs> pick considering he's probably not going to play again this season. But Bennington at the first short portion of the season, I mean, he stole you a couple of games and he got you points at the beginning of the year. Then Ville Husso comes in and he impresses, as we all know. Again, he was just named the, the second star of the week in the NHL. But it doesn't stop at Ville Husso. Like you had Joel Hofer, a 21-year-old, playing for you, and he picked up a victory. You had ju- you signed John Gillies in the middle of a season to play one game, and he got you to a shootout. And then you got Charlie Lindgren, aka Chucky Sideburn. So whatever happens this season, goaltending is going to be a conversation piece for the rest of the year. And I think at the midway point, you have to be talking about it. Two on this list is the offense in general. I gave you that number in terms of players on a team. 20 or more points. They have nine guys right now. The Blues do. But Braden Shen is at 17 points. Justin Falk is at 17 points. And there's somebody else at 18 points. So you have the potential in a couple of games to have 12 guys. Tory Krug. Tory Krug, thank you. You have you could potentially have 12 guys with 20 or more points, which goes to show you how deep players with 20 or more goals this year. Yeah. I mean, Kairu, Buchnevich, Barbashev, Tarasenko, Saad. I think all of those are locks. I, I don't even know the last time that they had something like O'Reilly, that. O'Reilly, Shin, and Perron all have nine goals. Or excuse me, Perron has eight, but he's Perron's also missed a I'm, bunch of games. Perron's the one I'm a little skeptical about, but. I think his power play usage yeah. is going to be able to get him to 20. I mean, at, at a minimum, going. I think you're going to have seven or eight players score at least 20 goals yeah. this season. I, I don't know this to be true, but I can't imagine that has happened. Last year, you had one. I know it was a shortened season, but you had one guy get to 20 goals. But to be able to get to the point where you have all of this offense coming and it's not just it's not just your main guys like you're talking about third line players that are essentially first line players, but they're coming up with points. And then my first takeaway ties into the forwards. But this this has to be the biggest thing you talk about after 41 games. And it's Vladimir Tarasenko. I mean, Vladdy coming into this season, nobody expected him to put on the performance that he has done this season 
power play. He's been effective offensively. He's everywhere. And look, he's better passer right now than he is a goal scorer for you. That pass that he had last night to to Braden Shen. I mean, that is a that's an elite passer on your team that only people are talking about. And Jeremy Rutherford tweeted this last night. Tarasenko's 10th power play assist in 37 games. His career high is 13 and 82. That's amazing. Ken Hitchcock always said, Vladdy's a better passer than he is a goal scorer. And I thought he was insane for saying that, but now we know why. So whatever it may be after 41 games, and look, you could go everywhere with this. Kairou should be in the conversation. So should Buchnevich. But I always go back to what Vladimir Tarasenko has done this season because nobody, and I mean nobody, expected him to come out and put on this type of performance. So far this year, if you're just looking at primary assists, Vladimir Tarasenko has 15 on the season. Yeah. 15 primary assists on the year. That's It's, it's wild, man. That's the same as Brad Marchand. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's wild what we're watching him do. Leon Dreisaitl, by the way, has 16 on the season. Well. So Edmonton sucks right now. So, I mean, he's still playing with pretty good players alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in 15 minutes. We'll get more into the special teams for the blues and just how much of a difference maker they have been. That's coming up at the bottom of the hour, but next who baby, I am on a heater right now. You can't be stopped. My picks from this weekend were exquisite. I only got one game, right? And it was the one that I was happy that I was wrong about. We'll talk about it coming up next on one-on-one ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The BKO. My favorite pick of the week is the Green Bay Packers. It's a San Francisco touchdown. And I love the Bills on the money line against the Kansas City Chiefs. Touchdown, Travis Kelsey. Derrick Henry's going to be himself. Vixen starts right, puts it back left, across the five, into the end zone. Touchdown, Cincinnati. The BKO. We doing this? It's back, baby. We doing this? It's back, baby. Did it ever leave? No. Well, no. Was it ever gone? It, it hit its peak over this weekend with these football games. True. My God. Hashtag fade BK. I had the Titans. I had the Packers. You didn't just have the Titans. You had Derrick Henry being himself. And how many carries did he have? Looking like a bionic man. Like like 20 for 60 yards. The dude that had the steel plate and five screws in his foot. I was like, yeah, he's going to be amazing. Yeah, he'll, be himself. <laughs> he'll be the superstar of that game. He broke his foot like three months ago. And I was like, yeah, I'm sure yeah, it'll be fine. He'll be what himself. could go wrong? And himself. He was clearly like the fourth best running back in that in that game. Like I, It was Joe Mixon. Deontay Foreman. <laughs> Deontay Foreman. I'm, Joe Burrow was a better Joe running Burrow back. Joe Burrow had better runs. Right. Tannehill might have had better runs than Derrick Henry. And then eventually you get down to Derrick Henry. So that didn't go well for me. I loved the Packers. They, they failed again because Aaron Rodgers is a choke artist who should probably retire. Um, who failed more, Aaron Rodgers or BK? I had the Rams. And I was pretty sure they were about that to blow like a 27 to three lead. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they, yeah. they damn near lost a game yeah. that felt impossible to lose. They had four fumbles. They had five on the year, Alex. They lost five fumbles this year, had four against Tampa Bay in that game. <laughs> and then I had the Bills who lost in the most dramatic possible fashion that felt impossible. <laughs> It was quite the weekend for you the were, old BKO. You were on a heater. Oh, and I had Illinois on Friday night. I ruined Illinois, too, and they looked terrible, too. It oh, was, yeah, uh, I didn't even put Illinois in. Damn. It's quite the uh, quite the weekend for your boy. All right. So 
Let's go through some NFL quick hitters from the weekend. You want to play was. the song again? You want to do it one more time real quick? Why not? Should it's we do fantastic. this one more time? Bring it back. Okay, here, Bring it, it back, let's, T-Bone. Let's do this one more it time. So Take good. two. So nice. We'll do it twice. Guess who's back? The BKO. My favorite pick of the week is the Green Bay Packers. And I love the Bills on the money line against the Kansas City Chiefs. Hold on, this is it right here. Derrick Henry's going to be himself. Yeah, he will. Starts right, puts it back left, across the five, into the end zone. Touchdown, Cincinnati. The BKO. God, it's beautiful. 20 carries for 60 yards. But he was himself. No, you know what I really loved? And I couldn't pull it off because it was such a long quote. But when you were talking about the Packers, you said, people are getting way too in front of their skis with this one. Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the game. You did well, say it. I, yeah, I, I know. Now, to give you credit, you did talk about how Jimmy G is hurt and he's not going to be good. And he was not good in that game. They it were the snowing. first team to win a game without <laughs> scoring snowing. a touchdown since 2016. When guess who lost in a game that the Jimmy opponent G. didn't play, didn't score a touchdown? No, Green it was Bay. the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, well, that was Alex <laughs> Smith. My Chiefs with Alex Smith. It was the final game with Alex Smith as their quarterback. Uh, he lost in the playoffs against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers did not score a touchdown in that game. Now the San Francisco 49ers were able to do exactly that. All right, let's go chronological order. Let's start with the Bengals versus the Titans game. Um, we're going to get into a segment on what the losing teams, what's going to be next for them. That's coming up at one o'clock. But let's start with the winners here. Joe Burrow, man, I think that's where you got to start. What a turnaround. Two years ago, the Bengals have the number one overall pick, and now they're in the AFC Championship game. It's the first time we've seen this kind of a turnaround in the first two years of a number one pick ever. It's the first time it's ever happened. So, I mean, I, I think the biggest takeaway here for me on the Bengals side of things, Joe Burrow's arrived. He's not in that same class just yet in my mind with Allen or Mahomes, but he's going to be there three, five years from now. He'll be in that same category. And it's not just Joe Burrow arriving, but it's the Cincinnati offense arriving. I mean, they have probably one of the most complete offensive packages right now in remaining in the playoffs. And I'm putting them up there with Kansas City because Kansas City looks good, obviously. But to have those three receivers along with Joe Mixon and, and not my, having a left tackle and not having a left Their tackle offensive where, line man, oh boy should not have drafted I Jamar done a Chase. Job, I think, but but I mean even their tight end Uzama, he's been really good. Did I pronounce that wrong? Close. Uzoma. Uzama. Uzama. Well, it's, it's like ooey. Stay away from it. Cincinnati is 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 complete. Now defense might be a little bit of a concern, but you're right. Joe Burrow has arrived. They played well. I, say, I don't know if defense is that much of a concern yeah. for me anymore because I, I thought they'd have trouble stopping Henry. I was kind of in the line of BK where he was going to have a big game, but yeah, they're, they've arrived. I, I texted you guys last night. Just imagine the AFC in two to three years. We're talking about the Chiefs and Bills still remaining as those top teams, probably with Allen and Mahomes. Cincinnati's coming. Cincinnati and the Chargers are coming. Both those teams have the weapons offensively. They have the quarterback. Defensively, Chargers have a couple pieces there. They got Bosa, the Bengals. They've got Hendrickson, who had a really good year. So, I mean, Bengals are on the rise. Chargers are on the rise. We're talking about a four-team four race in the AFC, and that's not even including Baltimore, who has Lamar Jackson. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun over the next three to five years. We talked about it a couple of segments ago. There's kind of cycles of three to five years in the NFL right now. And right now you're in a really good one for the AFC, and the Bengals are a big part of that. All right, 49ers Packers. I mean, I, I don't even know what to say because Aaron Rodgers will, punt the ball. will get into his future here in a little bit, mm. but 
he was unwilling to throw to anybody other than Aaron Jones or Devontae Adams. There's a uh, there's a video going around on Twitter. I'm sure if you've been on social media over the last 24 hours or so, you've probably seen it. That final play, when he threw into like triple coverage to Devontae Adams, he had Alan Lazard wide open in the middle of the field. Wide open. All you got to do is throw it. Lazard's going to catch that. He had two targets for guys that are two receptions for guys that aren't named Jones or Adams in that game. He lost all trust in everybody else. He went full hero mode. That was on Rodgers. He lost them that game. Your defense played perfectly fine. They did not. They were not a problem against the 49ers. Your special teams were atrocious, an absolute train wreck. Ten players on the field for that final field goal for against San Francisco. You had a punt blocked. You had a kick blocked as well. Awful game for your special teams, but Aaron Rodgers, you, you got to be better than that. If you're going to be my MVP, this is where your MVP moments really come to fruition, and he was terrible in that yeah, game. Yeah, he just looked like he checked out towards the end of that game. I mean, you just didn't have that threat ever in that where you felt like just get the ball back to Rodgers and he can do something hmm. with it because neither offense really could get going, but more so in Green Bay where Aaron Rodgers taunts all the time. You got to come to Green Bay to beat us. But you didn't look that good in the environment, just like Jimmy G didn't look that good in the environment with the exception of that first drive. But as much as I'll look at Aaron Rodgers, how can your special teams be that awful? awful? To spend an entire, not just a week, you had a bye week and your special teams looked that bad. That was embarrassing. Just as much as it was that offense not doing anything, Special teams not being able to perform and shut things down for a simple punt, that's what lost you the game. Yeah, the special team was terrible. And to Aaron Rodgers, I mean, they kept saying on the broadcast, well, the 49ers done a good job of disguising it, and I get there was the elements and the cold and the snow, but they put up 30 (laughs) points against San Francisco on the road in week, what is this, week four of the regular season, or week five, or three, excuse me, math. But there's no reason that Aaron Rodgers couldn't get that done against San Francisco. They were the better team. I'm with Alex. He just felt like he checked out late in that game, going to Devontae Adams in triple coverage. His, you said he had two targets for someone else. I know he targeted Randall Cobb once because I went, oh, my God, Cobb's on the field. Yep. So just well, terrible that was game the special weapon Rogers. that you needed for this one. Maybe yeah. Rodgers was trolling yeah, Green Bay. His buddy couldn't be off the yeah. team, and he needed him for his one target in the game with zero receptions for zero yards, zero touchdowns, along of zero in the game. Yeah, glad you had your buddy there, Maybe Aaron. Rodgers was trolling Green Bay, and he was going to be an MVP and then choke in the first round. On the other side of things with the 49ers, full credit. To them, man. They, oh I, yeah. I mean, you, we can we can be critical of Green Bay, and they deserve it. 49ers, they won that game. It's a hell of a win. Yeah. You know, going into a tough environment, it's freezing cold, the frozen tundra. Everybody said, ah, oh, they're not going to be able to win that game. 49ers went in, played perfectly fine, and did every just enough to be able to win that game. They kept themselves in it until the very end, and then when the moments mattered the most, they came through with the plays that they needed. Debo Samuel is a freaking warrior. I would want that dude on my team in any situation because, my God, is he dynamic. He was awesome in that one. And he was hurt half the game. I mean, he was literally hopping off of the field with one leg being able to be used at the end of it. So a huge win for them. Kyle Shanahan, I think, is a a legit top five coach in the NFL right now in my mind. The Rams-Bucks. That's why you trade for Matt Stafford. That throw that he had at the end of the game to (laughs) Cooper Cup, That is the exact moment as to why you trade for Matt Stafford. That is the throw that Jimmy Garoppolo did not and could not make against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and it was the reason why the 49ers lost that game. It was the throw that, when you think back to the Buccaneers, 
the Patriots game, excuse me, in the Super Bowl with Jared Goff. Remember that late throw? I can't remember who he was targeting on the play, but it ended up getting batted down at the very end. Brandon Cooks, I think. Matt, Yes, Matt Stafford makes that throw because he doesn't see it as late as Jared Goff did. He throws it quicker with more velocity. That's the throw that they needed Matt Stafford for at the very end. Yeah, that's exactly why you trade for him. And I, I mean, that's the throw that he hadn't really made in the regular season. And Sean McVay still in had trust in his entire career. True. Oh, and what, 53 against winning teams? And to recognize where the blitz is coming from and quickly throw downfield to Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford, that was probably his best game of the year. He looked good on opening night against the Bears, but that was the Bears. He looked good against Tampa Bay the first time they met. He threw for 344 yards in week three against them. He looked awesome yesterday. He looked confident, and the pocket held up for him really well. I was very scared with Andrew Whitworth out. Uh, Newt, Newt Borum, I think, is the Newt, guy who got no the boom. start. Yeah, he looked great. He was awesome last night. And Tampa Bay's line struggled to keep Tom Brady protected, and that was the difference maker. We said that going into that game, and I'm with you. That's why you trade for Matthew Stafford. Make the big-time throw. And I mentioned it last week. I said that's what you brought him in here to do. You brought him in to beat Tom Brady beat Aaron Rodgers, and he did, and he silenced some of the critics. I'm excited to see what he can do against San Francisco. The biggest question that I had in that game is is when you're Tampa Bay's defense, and if you're Bruce Arians or Todd Bowles, how do you not just play for that pass? And I know you're trying to protect against the field goal, but, I mean, and I don't know, did they run the blitz there? So they were supposed to, after the game, uh, Arians talked with the media, and they asked, hey, did you have a blitz on there? What, What happened on that play? And he said there was a blitz call. Half of the team didn't end up getting it. So some guys were playing for the blitz. Other guys were playing in coverage. It was a miscommunication. Part of that is good on the Rams for going with their up-tempo style. It made it difficult for the Bucs to communicate. They ended up messing up the coverage. I just didn't understand how how Tampa Bay is there thinking, like, look, we just need to make sure that these guys don't throw it over our heads. I mean, they try. Sometimes the other team just wins. And, and Cooper Cup ran I just a good don't know route, how got he gets open. That wide open, though. I'm, I'm with you. It shouldn't happen in that spot, but it did. And it, that happened all year long with Cooper Cup. So if it was somebody else, maybe I'm a little more critical of the Bucks. But Cooper Cup was doing that's everybody, and it's why he was deserving of. If they had a, a top five or ten like baseball does for your MVP ballot, he would have been on people's MVP ballots because that was. The type of play that he made all season long. He led the league in receptions, yards, and touchdowns for a reason this year. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Plenty more on the NFL coming up. We'll get to the teams that lost over the weekend and what comes next for them at 1 o'clock. But coming up next, Alex mentioned it in his Ferrario 5. Special teams have been a legit difference maker for the Blues this season. Just how much have they changed things for them? Alex has a stat for you coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. They're so crucial, those goals around the net. There's so many loose pucks laying around there. And if you got guys that are willing to be around the net and go to the net, they get goals. And that's two games in a row now where it's, you know, sort of a little bit of a broken player shot. And, as a, you know, there's a puck laying there and we capitalize on it. So they did a good job there. And, and then again, our penalty kill was uh, key, key tonight in winning the hockey game. 
With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Craig Berube after Friday night's game, talking about the Blues special teams and how significant they were in winning that game. Alex, that's been the case all year for this team. Special teams have been massive. You mentioned during one of the breaks, it's what, 15 games so far this year that in crunch time, the Blues have had a special times play, whether it be power play, penalty kill, that's ultimately won them the game so mm-hmm. far this season. Yeah, well, for for the penalty kill, they've had 10 different scenarios this season where the opposition has had a power play in crunch time, 10 minutes or less in the third period where it's been a one or two goal differential. And I look at the two goal differential because if they score on the power play, make it a one goal. Di- pull, now we've got a rush. You're looking at a lot of different scenario and the blues have killed off nine of those 10. Like it, it's been very impressive on the penalty kill. And on top of it, your last six games, you've allowed one goal on the penalty kill. And they're taking more penalties because they're playing more physical. Like, look at last night. And I loved Curbs and Joey asked Tori Krug that little extra push that he did to, uh, I think it was Highmore, who was on the ice, and that's what five-on-three came into. But Krug said, when we're playing the way we are, it allows us to put a little more feistiness into our game. When you know your penalty kill is this good, you could play with a little bit more of an edge. Albeit last season where your penalty kill was so bad, you had to play as tactical as possible to make sure that you didn't end up on the penalty kill because it was struggling. So the fact that your penalty kill has been so spot on, and a lot of this is just a five-man commitment or four-man commitment if you want to look at it that way, because you got guys diving in front of the net. Oscar Sundquist had three blocked shots and two of them on the penalty kill last night. Robert Bortuzzo, the same. These guys are jumping in front of pucks so that you're seeing pucks go to the boards, which gives them an opportunity to clear rather than these shots and then just standing and letting the goaltender get the save. The other thing, Alex, is when you look at the power play side of things, I think it's pretty clear as to what's changed from last year because I remember before the season, and this was not a crazy take that you had. You said the Blues could have like one of the best power plays in franchise history. You were a year early on that, but last year it was because look at the one-timer opportunities that they've got. You've got Perron. You've got Vladdy. You've got uh, Mike Hoffman at the time. Yeah. And it just didn't work for whatever reason early on. They ended up finishing the year on a hot streak with the power play, but this year it's been different. They've had those one-timer opportunities. Hell, Vladdy has been getting in on the party on that. But it's really the right in front of the net goals, the dirty areas that they have they really kind of stayed away from at times last year. And we were all frustrated by it. And Craig Berube, I can't imagine how many times he said in a press conference, hey, we got to go to the net. We've got to be willing to go to the front of the net to be able to get in those dirty areas and score goals that way. And it just felt like it never really sunk in with the team last year. For whatever reason, they weren't willing or able to do that. Well, this year, look at the team or look at the guys that are leading the team in power play goals. It's Saad, Shin, and Buchnevich with five goals apiece. All guys who were in front of the net. Next up, O'Reilly and Barbashev with four goals apiece. All guys who are in front of the net. Your top five goal scorers on the power play. It's not Perron. It's not Kairou. It's not Vladdy. It's not Tori Krug. All those guys have been good. It's all the guys that are getting the rebounds or right at the front of the net where Vladimir Tarasenko was able to put a pass right in front of that and boom, you're able to put it in. Shin has been great at that this year. You've seen how many times with Saad being right in front of the net on the offside and then he's just tapping it in. Just it's tap the, it in. It's the tap, easiest tap, thing tap in the world, room. and yet they weren't willing to do it a year ago. Yeah. So when they signed Buchnevich and Saad, what they also did, they improved their power play. We talked a ton about what their 200-foot games could do for the Blues. 
They also improved their power play. That's 10 of your goals on the power play so far this season. Completely changed the complexion of what that unit looks like. Yeah, to give you an idea about what you said, BK, of this possibly being the best in franchise history, it is right now. I mean, and I know, again, 41 games compared to a normal season, but the second best in franchise history uh, to this season is 24.6 power play percentage. And you're at 29.4 right now. That's amazing. I mean, you're nearly at 30%. A success rate on the power play. So, and then on top of it, your net power play, power play percentage is twenty six point nine. So, for what this Blues team is accomplishing, this is why, in my opinion, they should be a Stanley Cup favorite because other teams are good on the power play, but they might not be as good on the even strength player. They might not be as good on the penalty kill. Like, look at Florida, look at Vegas, look at Colorado. I don't know if those teams are all in the top five in this conversation. But for the Blues to be second and fourth in power play and penalty kill. And penalty kill is trending upwards because I think it was back in the middle of December, they were 26th in the National Hockey League. And in a little over a month, they've gone from 26th in the National Hockey League on the penalty kill to fourth best on the penalty kill. So to have these guys contributing, and it's to what you said, BK, you're having all of these guys contribute. It's not like what last season was where it was Perron or O'Reilly or Tarasenko. Those were the three guys that would score for you, and then everyone else, you're like, where are they? Penalty kill. You know who your penalty killers were. It was Barbashev. It was Ryan O'Reilly. It was Braden Shen. That was it. Now you have legitimately six or seven guys to play on the penalty kill. And on top of it, your second power play unit arguably could be just as good, if not better, than your first power play unit. And when healthy, Brandon Saad's not even on your power play because Ivan Barbashev is performing so well. It's a dangerous team from top to bottom, but I think more than anything, special teams is starting to get a little bit more recognition. And I looked at this one. There's been seven times this season that a power play or a shorthanded goal has given the Blues a victory. That, that Those goals have been the game-winning goals. Wow. It, it's, it's fascinating when you look at how the Blues are, are transitioning their look because no longer are they five-on-five, five, we're going to grind you down and just beat you till the end of the game. They're going to do that. But on top of it, if you t- if you make one mistake against St. Louis, you're giving them a power play opportunity, and they're going to make you pay for it. And they can play a little bit more physical because they know their penalty kill is playing so well. Yeah, and if you're looking at the teams, you kind of you kind of said like uh, the Blues are this. I mean, they do everything well, right? That's been the story of the Blues season. It's a scary thing. They, they are so well rounded as a team this year. The only other team that is top five so far this year in both power play and penalty kill is Carolina. And it's no mistake that Carolina is also one of the best teams in the league mm-hmm. so far this year. The other teams that are in the top 10 on the power play, here's where they rank right now on the penalty kill. Edmonton, 23rd. Dallas, 24th. Toronto just on outside of the top five in um, the penalty kill. They're sixth. Nashville, 13th. Boston, 8th. I and mean, this is what we're talking about is you've got these teams that, okay, you're really great offensively, but it's like the Chiefs back when Patrick Mahomes went up against the Patriots and they couldn't get a stop defensively. Awesome. You've got this great power play. You've got this awesome offense, but what about your defense? And mm-hmm. you don't have that side of of your game that's well-rounded. That's what I think sets the Blues apart from so many of the other contenders is that they're great on both sides of the ice right now. And when you get in the five on five as well, and you look at what Ville Husso's done, I mean, it's just that's the difference between what they were doing a year ago when they started getting the power play going and what they're doing this year. Now they've got all of their other game as well. They're not completely reliant on the special teams, but if you go into a game like they had on Friday night where maybe your five on five isn't perfect, mm-hmm. you're able to have the shorthanded goal. You are able to have the um 
the penalty shot. You've got the um, power play goal, and you get one at five on five, and boom, now we've got the win in Seattle. That's the type of thing that this this team is capable of that I don't think you see that game a year ago. No, that's why this team's so fascinating because they can beat you on the offensive side, but it's not just an even strength. You know, some teams will go into a playoff matchup and think, okay, well, if we just hold them at even strength, we'll be fine. You not only have to hold them at even strength, but you have to be aware that you don't give them a power play opportunity. And let's not overlook the fact that the Blues are tied for first and shorthanded goals <laughs> with six of them. I mean, they're they're lethal in every aspect of the offensive gameplay right now. And the only thing you're talking about tightening up is your goaltending. And we've seen it from Huso. If Bennington can get back on track tonight against Calgary, I mean, this is a top to bottom team that people should be very, uh, very aware of. Blues back in action tonight. Calgary's been on a rough slide of late. They have lost five of their last six games, including a game on Saturday night against the hapless Edmonton Oilers. They lost that one five to three. Blues versus Calgary coming up at eight o'clock. You've got pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario beginning tonight at seven. In about 10 minutes or so, what comes next for the teams that lost over the weekend? We'll tell you that coming up at one o'clock. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. If you want to get involved in the show, we're going to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Kansas City. My guess is you're probably watching the Chiefs game last night, right? No, Blues. Come on, man. Blues weren't on at this point in time. It was 8.45 to 9 o'clock. At the peak of its viewing in Kansas City, 90%, 90% of the televisions that were on watching something were watching Chiefs versus the Bills, as you'd probably expect. Now, anytime I see something like this, I'm always wondering, what exactly were the other 10% of people watching? With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So they actually found a way to bro- break this down. Okay. The other 10% of people last night were watching some combination of PBS, ABC, NBC, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, A&E, TCM. What is TCM? Turner Classic Movies. Good for you, man. Black and white. And T-Bones like likelihood. Would you like to hear what these shows were that were on at the time of the Chiefs game? My 600-pound life probably for TLC. It was not. 90-day fiancé. That's That's what it was. was. It was 90-day fiancé before the 90 days. That was was on TLC. Somebody was watching that. TMC's got to be some old-school movie, some black-and-white type of movie. TCM was a letter to three wives. Okay, no. (laughs) Let me look up what that (laughs) is because I can guarantee you a 1949 film. Yep. Yep. God, this is T Bones. Deborah Bishop. I should have They're three friends on. who all receive letters from another friend uh, telling them that she's about to leave town with one of their husbands. Oh my God. Wow. My land. That sounds more entertaining than mm, the That Bill does, actually. I'd probably turn that there on. No Michael Douglas's father was in that movie. Who? Wow. Michael Douglas? Kirk Douglas? His father, wow. Kirk Douglas. He was a stud. Was in that film. He was a stud. Other shows that were on Rocky. at that time. The first Rocky 48 Angels. was on AE. Okay. Um, Good show. Refamed Marilyn Monroe was playing on CNN. Can you? Oh man, that's a hell of a story. Secret Life of Pets was on NBC. <sighs> My niece's favorite movie. The Supermarket Sweep was on ABC. Great show. And All Creatures Great and Small was on the PBS. show that was airing on PBS. <laughs> 
the, 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 the crowd that were watching those probably has no <laughs> idea that there was a football game on that night. I just, I'm always curious what's happening as like the, the biggest event, right? If this was the Cardinals in the World Series against the Red Sox or something like that, it's going to be 90 plus percent of St. Louis is at least tuned into that game. I always wonder what the other 10% is doing. Like when they go to work the next day, what are they talking about? What are the conversations at the water cooler from the guy that's watching (laughs) Supermarket Sweep during the the Cardinals versus Red Sox World Series? Did you see that Three Wives film that was on? Imagine Game 6 2011. (laughs) David Freeze happens and you're watching the Supermarket Sweep on ABC. My, My 600 pound life, guys. Could you imagine that they made it through? Like, oh my gosh. You're watching A Letter to Three Wives, hey, a movie from 1948. There's a lot of mystery uh, in that film. As Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are putting together the greatest performance in the history of football. Yeah, but does Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes talk about husbands leaving town with other gr- other women that were unfaithful to their husbands? Yeah, like Kirk Douglas, I mean, Michael, is, Michael Douglas's father. This is a regular time, like late night showtime film just in 1949. Michael Douglas is 77 years old and his father was featured prominently in that <laughs> film. <laughs> like, hey. that is how old that is. R.I.P. To, to Kirk Douglas. Just an sleep amazing away, Sleep thing. away the angels right All now. All right, Alex, what do you have for us today so, in the Junk So I just got a scenario for you guys, and I'm sure both of you went to parties in high school, right? A friend? Oh, yeah. No, not a friend. So, oh. so we were at my sister's house Saturday night, celebrate my brother-in-law's birthday. We're watching the football game and then we're watching the UFC fight as well. And at about 1130 at night, we start seeing all of these cars parking on the street and these kids running back and forth. Later, do we find out that there's a party going on across the street? And I mean, it was, it felt like Project X. Now, nobody had a flamethrower that was on top of cars in the middle of the street. But I mean, there were were kids just running in and out of this house. There was somebody who sped down the street and parked their car in the middle of the road and ran inside. And you called the cops. That's what I was going to ask. That's what I was going to ask. Do you narc? Of course you did. No. I totally narked. We all narked. Are you serious? Yeah, we narked. We had three. There were three little girls in the house that were trying to sleep. These people were like blaring music. Get them up and go to the party. <laughs> I told my cousin. My cousin was there, and my my cousin's twenty six years old. But we were like, we were joking around with them. Like, if you put your your ski cap on and you put your hood up, Alex, well, you're, you're not shot. Him. What are you doing? No, that's what I'm asking. No, I'm saying like, if you do this, you could you could totally buy out as like a a high schooler to walk into that party and be your eyes and Pretty ears. Good. Why did Alex say that he's putting a, a ski cap on? Is that on? what those cars? Those little the little hats that you put on. Not the one that goes over your entire face. What? A beanie? Thank you. Yeah, the beanie. That's what they're called? Yeah, well, I you mean. You should have gone I just to the party to know. or at least texted your boy T-Bone and told we him actually, there was something going we, on. We actually, they're high schoolers, man. You're a party's a party. Hey, the, were they <laughs> doing anything that was bothering you? Yeah. Like, genuinely. Yeah, it was loud. They were parked in the middle of the street. Oh, we were so old people here. But here's the but thing. But were they like, were they harming you? If. If they were just being loud and it's 1130, if that continues to go to like one or two o'clock in the morning, it's 1130 okay. at night, man, it's a Saturday, I got there was a four year old, a five year old and a nine month old upstairs they were inside. It yeah. was loud. Alex, I heard gunshots Buddy, in my neighborhood this weekend. Noise. I didn't call the cops. And, and the dog was yeah. barking. Someone got shot literally right next to like, right across the road from me. Here's the That's thing. Not funny. I actually just wanted He's a narc okay. because I wanted to see kids scatter. Wow. You and are the, the cops showed up, and you know what the cops did? The cops just walked up, and they were well, like, Yeah, because hey, they keep don't it care. Down. Yeah, well, we called like five times to the cops, and we were like, Hey, oh can somebody God. come out here and check this? It was actually oh. a pretty fun Alex night. Alex also texted us. It was a rough weekend for our guy, Alex Ferrario. 
He texted us on what Saturday morning because he went to the grocery store at yeah. six thirty a.m. <laughs> no, it was nine. It was nine. That's when less people are pretty out. Early. Uh, it was pretty early. And he texts us. He says, "Guys, I made a terrible mistake. I forgot my headphones at home as I'm going to the grocery store." Alex, it's seven thirty in the morning, dude. You're going to be one of five people that are at the grocery store. You're it's hit okay. The early bird specials. You were fine. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe you narked on sixteen-year-olds hey, trying just, to have a good night. I wanted to see kids just scatter. Six five seven eight zero is the yeah, air comfort man. service text line. Coming up in fifteen minutes, we'll play a game of in or out. If you've got a scenario for us, we'll get in. We'll get into that coming up at one fifteen. But next, so what's coming up for the teams that lost over the weekend? Aaron Rodgers is his future in question, and what happens now with Tom Brady? It's sounding at least in play that he's not going to be back with the Bucks. It might have been the last time we see him suit up in a football game. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So we talked a lot about what happened for the teams that won on the on the positive side of things. And now let's spin that to the other side of things. Unfortunately, there were four teams that saw their season come to an end over the weekend with the first time we've ever seen four games slate. All four came down to the final play of the game. Alex, let's go chronological order with these for the teams that lost. Let's start with the Tennessee Titans because... An unbelievable season in which they saw Derrick Henry go down, Julio Jones go down, A.J. Brown went down. Their entire offense was basically Ryan Tannehill for a period of time. They still go 12-5, and ended up getting the number one seed in the AFC, host a playoff game against the Bengals, and then it all comes crashing to a halt at in that game against Cincinnati. Where do you go from here? Because you've got Ryan Tannehill. You can't really get rid of him because of his contract. Is this the ceiling for this version of the Titans? Did we see it this year? Like you're probably not going to do much better than 12 and five and you can maybe win a playoff game, get to the AFC championship game, but that's the glass ceiling with this version of the Titans. Or do you think there's more there next season? I think there's, I I think there's more there if they're to upgrade their weakest area, which was defense. And T when you talked about this Friday, like their past defense is just not good. And it was exploited against Cincinnati my question, though, still is Ryan Tannehill. And, I mean, he, he he reminds me a lot of the the goal scorer in hockey. A regular season performer, but then he's go he goes absent in the playoffs. And I think that's what that was for Ryan Tannehill. Now, granted, maybe Derrick Henry wasn't himself in that playoff game. And if he was, maybe you're getting a little bit of a different outcome there. But I still think there's a little bit more. But I just don't know if Ryan Tannehill's the guy that can get them there. Yeah, I, Ryan Tannehill's a question mark for me. Mine would just mostly be on the defense because I think there is a little bit more than just 12-5 and five and then get knocked out in the divisional round. I, I think if Derrick Henry was healthy, and that is a big if, and that could be a concern moving forward, is, is this the beginning of the end for Derrick Henry? I don't think so. No. I, I think he can remain healthy and will be as dominant as he was before he got injured. If that's the case, then all you got to do is really upgrade the defense. Sure, Ryan Tannehill choked in the playoffs, but... Derrick Henry wasn't the same. They never really established the run game, and I don't think Cincinnati was really afraid of it, and it allowed them to kind of sit back and not fall for any play action on passes. And Tannehill, yeah, he did make some mistakes, but I think this team is better with a healthier Derrick Henry. I think so, too. The problem is, if I'm any team in the AFC, this includes the the Titans, the Bengals, any other team, 
as I'm watching that game last night between the Chiefs and the Bills, I have to ask myself, if I'm the owner, for example, I'm asking the general manager, do we have a quarterback in place right now that can go head to head with these guys? Because if you don't, what are you doing? What's your plan for the next three to five years? And I think the answer, if the Titans are honest with themselves, is no, we don't have a quarterback that can go head to head with these guys. Ryan Tannehill is perfectly fine. It's like the 15th to 20th best quarterback in the league. You can win with that guy. The 49ers are doing that right now. We're seeing it in, in front of our very eyes. They're trying to go to the Super Bowl for the second time in three years with a super mediocre quarterback that they gave up tons of assets to be able to replace after this season. So they see it as well as we do. The Titans probably need to do something similar. They need to find their succession plan to Ryan's A&L. Now, you can't move on from him. If you cut him off after the season, it costs you $54 million against the cap. It's just not feasible. It's $20 million more than it is to have him on your roster. If you trade him, it's $28 million against your cap. They just can't do anything right now. But you need to find out, okay, who's our next answer after Ryan Tannehill? Because after 2022... You're probably going to need to know the answer to that question. I think we saw their glass ceiling this year. I think they're a 10 to 12 win team again next season. They're fine, but they need to find their next answer at the quarterback position because what they have right now, given what the rest of the AFC is, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, you can't match up against that next year. If you, if We were talking about this off air in terms of NFC quarterbacks. If you were to pluck the Tennessee Titans and put them in the NFC, where would Ryan Tannehill rank among quarterbacks in the NFC right now? With the exception of no Aaron Rodgers and no Tom Brady next season. You say you mean in the AFC? No. So if you were to take Tennessee and put them in the NFC next year, no Rodgers, no Brady in the NFC, where would Tannehill rank? Dak would be ahead of him. I would have Kirk Cousins ahead of him. Um, I would probably have... He's in that Matt Ryan category, but maybe I would put him a little bit ahead of Matt Ryan. Stafford. I'd have him in his top five. Because mm. I'd have him better than Kyler. I would have Kyler ahead have of him. Kyler ahead of him, and I know I watched. He's Kyler basically implode. Jimmy Garoppolo, so you can decide which one you want to put where. But and then I would put Russ ahead of him, so like six to eight range. I think he's right in the middle of the pack, regardless of where you put him, whether it's in the AFC or the NFC. But in the AFC in particular, like you might be able to get away with it to your point in the NFC. Yeah, I don't think you can anymore in the AFC. No, not I think the it's AFC. just changed it's too, too much. It's too good. On the Buck side of things, after they lose yesterday. There were reports that randomly started to emerge on like Thursday of last week. We talked about this a little bit and it seemed to be bubbling up to the surface a bit. Hey, this, this might be the last time we see Tom Brady. Don't count it out. It's not, it's a non-zero chance. This is the last time that we see Brady play. You look like you think about his retirement spot this weekend. Do you guys think Brady's done? Or do you think that we see him again next year? Because I'm starting to wonder. I think it really depends on what they do with Tampa Bay's team. I mean, if Tampa Bay's in a situation where they can't bring back Godwin and, and Leonard Fournette goes elsewhere, if you start to see that roster deplete and they don't upgrade defensively, I I, I think he I think you have to be done. But his comments re- really stick with me, where he said he wants to go out on top of the Super Bowl, or at least in the Super Bowl. So my gut tells me he'll be back one more year. But if that Tampa team just completely <clears throat> is depleted after this off season, I don't know if he comes back. Yeah, my gut tells me he'll be back one more year. Even unless it is like you said, where they just fall apart and can't get anybody to come into Tampa Bay. But they've got Tom Brady. I mean, they've brought in guys on some discounted deals. Like McDonovan Sue, his contract was pretty team friendly when they brought him in originally. I could see them going after an Odell Beckham Jr. because they're not gonna be able to get Chris Godwin. I don't think Odell's gonna get a big contract this offseason. He'd be a perfect fit there in Tampa Bay, in my opinion. So 
I think he'll come back one more year. I think Tampa Bay will surround him with the weapons. Now, will they be viewed as the top team in the NFC? Maybe not, but they'll be up there in a category where you could say, okay, I could see them making a run. And honestly, it, when it is time for Tom Brady to retire, I hope we get one of those send-offs where it's... I don't think I, he's going to do that. I don't think Peyton Manning did it, because Manning retired after they won the Super Bowl and he mm-hmm. went out on top. I wish he would do that, though. And I, I, don't, I think you're right. I don't know if he would, but I wish he would, because that way we know, hey, this is the last time we get to watch the GOAT, and we get to watch it for 17 games. We can admire the 17 games. I don't know if he'd do it, though. I think you'll see breadcrumbs, but I feel like there might be breadcrumbs right now. We we started hearing last week, hey, this might be the end. This this might be it. At least it's in play that he's not going to return. I do wonder if – I think what you guys said about the team is interesting because I think there's something to that. I wonder if he's viewing with the, with the rest of the team. Some of them were complacent with winning one Super Bowl. And we know Tom Brady is not complacent with winning a Super Bowl. He's about winning rings, plural. I wonder if some of the guys on that team got the taste of that success and they had it for the first time. They were like, hey – now, now it's time to get paid, and we can kind of coast from here. It sure felt like that on the defensive side. Absolutely, and I, I feel like on offense they had a little bit of that as well at times this season. So I, I do wonder if there's some of that there. A little tinfoil uh, BK theory here. Okay, we'll call it what it is. I wonder, Sean Payton, I'm, I'm very curious to find out where he ends up. Is I don't it, think is that he the, available? There were reports over the weekend that he is – not committed yet <laughs> to the Saints for next season. Because their quarterback options suck. And there's been, I mean, for the last like five years, questions about if the Saints would be willing to trade him somewhere else. If he ended up with like the Giants, I think Tom Brady would consider like trying to force a trade to New York. That team is awful. Even I'm with, with you, Tom Brady. but they've got a bunch of cap space. Maybe they go out and they, they end up signing What's some guys. What's Michael Thomas's scenario? Is he still under contract? or can Dude, he... good question. He Yes, he's under contract, but... I wonder if they trade thought... him because it seems like he's not going to be playing for New Orleans. Wherever Michael Thomas goes, that's where Tom Brady will go. Yeah, I, I just wonder. Keep, keep that in Michael the back of Michael Thomas mind. and Sean Payton to uh, Tampa for Chris Godwin and Bruce Arians. On the Packers, same question. What's going on with uh, Aaron Rodgers? You heard him after the game talking about what the situation is with their cap situation with their cap space, he was asked specifically, Hey Aaron, you know that the Packers right now are actually over the cap. Is that something that you've thought about as you go into your off season decision? That's a fair question. Uh, definitely what I've thought about, you know, there are a lot of decisions to be made and, you know, key players, a lot of guys who played the night, you know, so many guys contracts are, are up or on the brink or salary cap stuff. So, a lot of decisions to be made. I don't want to be a part of a rebuild uh, if, you know, if I'm going to keep playing. So, God, he's insufferable. Uh, so that's what he said after the game. He's miserable, am I right, BK? He's very miserable. And I, and I wouldn't want to go through a rebuild either. I mean, it's same. If I'm, I'm, if I'm, Brady, I'm the Packers, rebuilding. if I'm the Packers, I tell him, you've got two choices. You can either come back and play for us or you can retire. Because if you don't want to go through a rebuild, great. We're not planning to rebuild. We're planning to build around you, Aaron. And How? You're going to lose Adams. You're going to probably lose your second running back with Dylan. You're paying. You're overpaying a defense that couldn't get the job done in the playoffs. How are you going to sell to Aaron Rodgers that you're going to have a contender this year? You're under contract. Your choice. You, you can either play for us or not. But if you're not playing for us, you ain't playing for anybody else. So if I'm if I'm the Packers, that's what I'm saying. You you can decide where you want to go in 2023 and then sign with another team in 2023. When his contract voids, that that's your opportunity. You can you can go somewhere else when you're 40 years old, but for your upcoming season when you're 39, you are playing for us, big guy, or you're not playing anywhere. That that's my stance. If I'm the Packers, did I'm you, not letting him play for anybody else. Did you just big guy Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, 
He's miserable, and he's a big guy. Look, here, here's you can the make fact. big boy decisions here's with the, your big boy money. Here's the one thing we got to understand: Aaron Rodgers will not make a decision with his future until he consults Joe Rogan. Okay. <laughs> Joe Rogan will be the one that decides Aaron Rodgers' future. I, I, if I'm the Packers, I take the same stance, and I, and I don't see them going through a rebuild either. the The problem is that I'm not going to be as just straightforward with it as BK just was. Because Why? if I'm not, I've got Jordan Love as my option. Oh, God. Exactly. Is that not an option? Are you threatening me right now? That's not an option. That's the issue with Aaron Rodgers, though, is you can't be overly aggressive and saying, hey, you got to come play for us because you're not going anywhere. Because if you don't meet Aaron Rodgers' demands, he'll retire, and then you are in the rebuilt spot cool. that you're heading into. As long as he's not playing elsewhere. I what guess. If, what I mean, if, I'm in the same situation. My, my best case scenario, Rogers is going to play for me next year. But if what? I'm going to, if I know I'm going to go through the rebuild, then yeah. I'm going to look to trade Aaron Rodgers. That's the thing. And what if an AFC comes calling and offers you a king's ransom? If you know you're going to have to go through a rebuild, and I can trade him to get some assets to the AFC, you're not going to be in the Super Bowl Aaron next Rogers year. Aaron Rodgers is not playing for anybody other than the Packers. Well, that's, that's great. My, that's my firm stance. If I'm Green Bay, but that's great. If you want an MVP this year, and I'm just going to let him go somewhere else. I don't care what you're offering me. But I'm hanging up the phone. If he, if he doesn't play. You're, you're not going to be a contender. You're going to have to go through a rebuild because you're overpaying a bunch of guys that relies around a quarterback. Yeah. And I'll, I'll re, reset my team this year. It t- everybody goes through this. At some point, when you lose your quarterback, you have to go through a little bit of a tough time. The, the Patriots just did this last year, right? They went through a, a tough rebuild season. They ended up finding their quarterback in the draft. They had one offseason where they had to get their books right. And then this past offseason, they go big into the market, and they, this, they became a legit... 10 win team. That this direction season. just seems like you're letting emotions get the best of you because you just are, are ticked off at Aaron Rodgers' attitude. And I mean, if I'm running a team and he doesn't want to be here, you got to move on from him. I, I'm not moving on from him at all. He's under contract for one more season. He shouldn't have signed the extension if he didn't want to be here. That, that's my firm stance if I'm Green Bay. $46 million cap. Is, he why, is yeah. he why they're $44 million over the cap? I mean, he's part of it, yeah. Him and they've got some other guys that are super expensive on the books as well. Zadarius Smith is counting for $27 million. David, get $9 million. David oh Bakhtiari is $23 million. Preston Smith is $20 million. Kenny Clark is $20 million. They've got a bunch of dudes that are just, they're really highly paid because they're a really good team. And they've got some very good players. So uh, that that's kind of where I'm at with the Packers right now. And then the Bills, like they're going to be really good. They're going to be really good again next year. They lost to the only team that I think would have beat them this weekend. If they played any of the other six teams that were in the postseason, I think they win on Sunday and they're moving on to the championship game in their respective conference. That's kind of where I'm at with them. I I don't have a grand takeaway other than Josh Allen's your quarterback. You've got a really good defense. Tredavious White plays yesterday. Maybe you end up yeah. winning it. That's it, true. Just It's a big injury to go up against a team that has those kinds of weapons. And it was impressive that they still did what they did without White because 100%. he's such an impactful player on that defensive side. Although you could say the same about Kansas City without Tyron Matthew. It, yeah, it, it, it was an awesome game, and it came down to whoever had the ball last. And the, the Bills just didn't get the ball. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, let's play a game of in or out. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. In or out coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with PK and Ferrario. (laughs) 
65780 is your comfort service text line. The text line got to me today. Did they? They got to me. Okay, guys, you know how we had them be nicer to T-Bone on Friday? Be nicer to my guy BK today. So send the hate my way. I'm honestly surprised by how many people are just willing to give in to Aaron Rodgers' demands. Guys, they don't have to trade him. They said last offseason, and they they changed his contract as a result. After this upcoming year, he has an opt-out. And they, the the contract is void and he can walk. So in 2023, if he continues to play, he can decide his full fate of his future. He gets to do what Tom Brady did, where if he wants to play until he's 45 years old, he can go wherever he wants. He's completely available for that. And I, if my understanding is correct, I don't believe they can franchise him. So he has full control over his future after next season. Right now, that's not the case. This offseason, their understanding with Aaron Rodgers was, will reconvene at the end of the year and decide what the best course of action is to take for both Aaron and for the Green Bay Packers. If I'm Green Bay, this is an open and shut conversation. You were awesome this year. You are going to win the MVP. Our team was able to get the number one overall seed and just didn't play well in the postseason. We're going to fix our special teams. You're going to be back next year as our starting quarterback. And if not, then you can retire. Those are your options. You're either going to be the quarterback for the Packers or you're not playing football anymore. And that's fine. That's his decision to make. But I'm not allowing that guy to go play elsewhere, regardless of what is offered to me, because I don't have to let him go play elsewhere yeah, until after next that's year. That's just, I, I think, where where, uh, where I'm on the opposite side of it. I just And I understand where you're coming from, but... I, I can't let emotions direct where I'm going. If I'm going to lose him after next but season, I'm not being emotional. I'm being logical in that. I, but if he doesn't play, your team's going to be awful. Yes, but if he doesn't play, then he's not playing for anybody. Right. He's just but, done with football. But I mean, that, yeah, he could go somewhere and stink somewhere else. But he's not going to. He's re, he's an, he just won the MVP this year. He did. I understand that. But I, if, if somebody's going to come to me, and I'm not trading him for like a second round draft pick or something, but if somebody's going to come to me and, and completely alter the look of my franchise in terms of fast forwarding rebuilding a one season runoff of Aaron Rodgers where he's going to go wherever he wants. If somebody's going to give me a King's ransom, I'm going to pull the trigger on it. I get, I I'm just not like, I, I'm not even listening to offers. Aaron Rodgers is my quarterback next year. That's the way that I'm treating the off season. And if he, if he decides to tell me that he wants to go elsewhere, well, I guess you're living in Hawaii for this upcoming offseason. Oh, you and I'm in on that. Can I get, can I get that deal? You and what's his face can go hang out down there. What's his face? His buddy. What's oh, Randall Cobb? No. Shailene Woodley. No. And then their, their friend that they went down oh, to Hawaii yeah. with. Yeah, the dude that was in that drum movie. What's his name? I don't know. Oh, my about. gosh. It's the actor. What? It was in Footloose. God, I forgot what his name is. If the Packers were in the same spot as the 49ers, where they were in a wild card team. Thank Miles you, Miles Teller. Teller. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Miles. Miles. Get out of here. <laughs> if, uh, it, it, what's interesting is if the Packers were in the spot where the 49ers are, where they were a wild card team, and then they got knocked down in the playoffs, then I think it becomes more intriguing to trade Aaron Rodgers, even if he was the MVP. But the fact of the matter that they were the one seed is why I would still listen to offers. I would be very hesitant to move them, though. I wouldn't just shut out the idea of, okay, it's retire or play. I would listen. Yeah, I would basically gotta, make him come back. Somebody's got to blow me away with the offer. But if they're going to fast forward a rebuild process because I know I'm headed that way, I'm going to listen to it. And this probably isn't the year to compile first-round picks, by the way. No, no it's terrible, God, no, terrible draft. It's not a good draft. Especially with quarterbacks. Woof. All right. Sorry. I apologize for taking out some of the time. In or out, will Aaron Rodgers be back, back with the Packers next year? I would say in. Let's get to this one, though. From the 314, guys, in or out, the new playoff structure for the NFL is actually a disadvantage to the number one seed. This was interesting yesterday. It was the first time in a decade 
that the number one seeds, the teams with the bye, will not be represented in either of the conference championship games. I just don't understand how it would be a disadvantage because in the other format, they still have a bye week. You're still yeah. sitting. And I mean, look, the, the number one seeds just didn't perform this year. I mean, that's plain and simple. Green Bay's offense wasn't the offense that it was in the regular season. And Tennessee didn't have a healthy Derrick Henry. That's the way I look at it. I don't look at it as a disadvantage. If you're a number one seed, you're a number one seed. So I'm out on that. Yeah, I'm out on that, too. I don't think it's a disadvantage. It allows you a chance to get healthy. And granted, Derrick Henry wasn't 100%, but you still had Derrick Henry on the field. You just didn't perform with him. And I think it was just one of those one-off years for the one seeds. Green Bay, if they had a special teams, they would have shut out the San Francisco 49ers. The Tennessee Titans, it was just one of those games where, you know what, Cincinnati just matched up well against you. I'm out on that. I, I think earning the one seed is a huge advantage for teams. The fluke this year was that the Titans got the one seed. Yeah, yeah they're most like that, overrated that was one the seed surprise. ever. I, I thought they were a really well, good team, but they were more like a third or fourth best team in the AFC than they were the best this year. And they just, I mean, they they earned it. They, they played really well in that five-week stretch that we talked so much about. They beat the best teams in the league, so they earned the right to have the number one seed. But there was a reason why people were down on them. It's because they have Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback. If the Chiefs, the Bengals, or the Bills had the number one seed, they would have won last week. So I I don't think it's a disadvantage. I think you just had a weird off year where the Titans got the number one seed in the AFC, and the Packers just had a horrible game where their special teams had an all-time disaster against the 49ers. I'm out on this as it being a disadvantage. I'm in on it being a huge advantage, in fact, because you were healthier. The Titans were able to have closer to a 100% Derrick Henry and what appeared to be a 100% Julio Jones, by the way, because of the bye week. It would have been better for the other teams that played to have that bye week so they could get their rosters a little bit healthier, but uh, it just didn't work out for the Titans or Packers. It's not Tennessee's fault the Chiefs don't start trying until like week six. <laughs> you know what? They're they're like LeBron James, whatever team he's on. They don't start trying until it really matters. Oh my God. Can I throw in on this one real quick? Please. So uh, Apparently, Antonio Brown was, was just on uh, some type of podcast called I Am oh Athlete, boy. and he says he's ready to play with Lamar Jackson, and Lamar Jackson quote tweeted it with a uh, devil emoji, in or out Antonio Brown's a Baltimore Raven next season. I mean, I don't know that that's something that John Harbaugh would do. That's, that's a good yeah, point. I'm out on this one because he's not bringing that into that locker room. Yeah, I, I don't think that's something that John Harbaugh would be willing to put up with. So I'm out on it. But if I'm Lamar, I'm probably trying to advocate for it because I need more weapons. I'm looking around the AFC. If I'm Lamar. Go get Look, Chris Godwin then. Go pay for Chris Godwin if you want weapons. Totally with you. Devontae Adams, whoever the best receiver is yeah. that you can go out there and acquire, go God, get him. I forgot Devontae Adams was a free agent. Yeah. Good Lord. If Baltimore doesn't sign a top I, wide receiver. The Giants. Get Devontae Adams. Get Tom Brady. Get Sean Payton. Win a championship <laughs> next year. <laughs> Your defense still sucks, but it's fine. Yeah, we'll oh, figure defense. that one out What's on that? the other side. Bring in Brian Dable as a uh, offensive coordinator. There you go. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for in or out. Guys, in or out, Jordan Bennington will have a shutout tonight for the St. Louis Blues. Out. <laughs> Sorry. That was quick. I'm God, out. man, you're a jerk. Kyrie's favorite in this game. What's going on there, Alex? Uh-oh. Do you understand that? Back-to-back, probably. I, I really don't, actually, because Calgary's awful at home. They're 5-4-4 four, and four on home ice which is really surprising. They're 13-8-2 on the road. I know, uh, Canadian for you. Mm. They've had a lot of games postponed. Booch is back. Booch is back. I I really don't know why the Calgary's favorite in this one because they've lost seven of their last 10 games. 
Um, their defense has not been performing well. And on top of it, Markstrom, he's a good goaltender for them, but he's had his deficiencies. So I don't agree with the favorite. Now, I'm not going to say Jordan Bennington has a shutout in this one because Calgary has not been shut out at all this season. Maybe I just hate KO'd him. But yeah, I, back that. I would say if, if, the, if the scenario was flipped here and Bennington has a, a game that deserves him getting the net once again on Thursday, I would say I'm in on that one because I think he's going to be ready for this. But for the shutout scenario, no, I'm out on that. Calgary plays in front of the net heavy. Yeah, I'm out as well. It's they, they've got too much offensive potential on Calgary and you're you're Coley. Someone so said Binner's in net. That's why Calgary's favorite. <laughs> Unnecessary 3-1-4. I, mean, I, I think it's true. And the back-to-back add on top of it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a probably big thing. part of it. And Calgary's coming so, off of a loss. Also, Vegas doesn't realize that Buchnevich is playing tonight. Oh, yeah. That's the they thing. were they confused know. by the Canadian rules. They don't know so Buch. You, you think if, let's say, what? You, if Biddington, let's say, stops 33-35 tonight and they get the win, say it's a 4-2 win, they go back to him. I would against Calgary again. No. And then I'd give. And then I'd give Huso the, the start on Saturday. I'd go the opposite. I'd give Huso the start against Calgary on Thursday. Find out which one of them performed well, better against Calgary, and whoever Would, did. Wouldn't you want to build off of what Bennington just did though? Against the same team, two yeah. days, a couple days later. Now Huso did it. Huso played the same team twice. Yeah, but Huso's better. <laughs> oh, so that's Facts. what. No. So that's Facts. what I'm arguing with here. Okay, I'm riding right, the hot hand. Break, I'm riding the hot hand. I would go back to Huso on Thursday, and then determine based on who did better against Calgary and back-to-back games against them. See, that's the tough spot, spot yeah. is I don't want Bennington to have the rest of this time off. So like, if No, he, Bennington's playing he's Thursday get, or Saturday. He's going to have to get another game before they head to the All-Star yeah. break, in my opinion. If Huso's great on Thursday, Huso gets the next two starts after this. No, you can't do that. You can't have that much time off regardless. Now, if Bennington's bad, then Huso probably plays both of those games. But Even if Bennington, then, I think you go back to Bennington. You got to play Bennington one of those games. That's where it went back to what Craig Ruby said. Like they have a schedule in place, and that schedule is back to back. One of those guys plays in one game, the other gets the other. He also said it changes based on how the two goalies perform. And that's where I said if Bennington's bad tonight, then Huso does play these next two games. Totally with you. The only place where I differ is if, like for example, tonight Bennington's solid. He gives up two goals. And then on Thursday, you, you go back to Huso, and Huso has a shutout going back to him on Saturday against Winnipeg. That's why you'd ride Bennington into Thursday's game if he performs well here, just like you just did with Ville Huso. Yeah. If he I, performs I well, would, you get him the net again. I would. Fl- They've got some interesting decisions coming up with their goalie. Um, they, only two games left before this two-week break is is going to force them to make some interesting decisions for sure. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Coming up next, Josh Allen and Matt Stafford had some big-time games over the weekend, and both of them silenced their critics. We'll talk about them next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Stafford straight drop back, pressure off the edge, deep ball, middle of the field, Cup is open, it's pulled in, inside the 20 by Cup, and down near the 10, clock is moving, 18 seconds, Rams trying to get up there to spike it, they've got a snap and spike, they do, Stafford spikes the ball with four seconds left, and here comes the field goal team for a 20-yard try that'll win the game in regulation. Matt Gay on to win it for the Rams, snap, ball down, the kick is up, and the kick is good! The Rams are going to the NFC Championship game. And have we seen the last of the most decorated quarterback in NFL history? Tom Brady. Is he done? 
With Whoa. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That's Turn what it sounded year. like on Westwood One oh. on 101 ESPN yesterday as the Rams were able to silence some of their critics. And more specifically, Matt Stafford silenced his critics with the biggest throw of his career. Guys, going into that game, Matt Stafford had always been awful against winning teams when his defense gives up 24 or more points. How and what awful. I mean by awful, 0-53. That is he awful. had never Ugh. won a game against a winning team when his defense allowed 24 or more points. He is now 1-53 and 53 in such games. That's why you traded for him. That throw over the top to Cooper Cup, that's the throw that Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't make in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. That's the throw that Jared Goff couldn't make in the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots. And finally, they had the guy in place to beat the boogeyman who beat them the last time around in the playoffs when they had the opportunity to make a similar uh, type of play. Uh, they, they were able to beat him because Matt Stafford made the play of the game against the Buccaneers. We can talk about what the Tampa Bay Bucks defense was doing there and why they had a bad call on, why they ended up miscommunicating. But regardless of what happened defensively, the quarterback's got to be able to make that throw. And he made the perfect one in the biggest possible spot. Yeah, I mean, when he got the ball back in his hands, I fully expected that game to go to overtime and I fully expected them to lose. And when Stafford had it, I'm like, this this one's done for the Rams. They shouldn't have let Tom Brady back into it. Especially after that. I don't know if it was a, like, just a sack or a draw call that they had. Whatever that first down play was, I think that was, awful. It was a draw. That was awful. Whatever it was, it felt like the Giants at the end of the regular season. It was weird, man. You had 40 seconds to go. You get the ball back. You're tied 27 all, and you have one timeout. And you decide in that moment, now's the time for Matt Stafford to drop back and run yeah, a QB run, draw. They never know what's coming. I, I, in no, that moment, I was like, oh, I guess they're just playing for overtime. And then they called the timeout immediately. I I don't understand that, whatever. But on the next play, the very next play after that, that's when he throws it over the top to Cooper Cup. Just amazing, man. And I, I wasn't sure he was capable of it because we really haven't seen him in that type of a spot for like a decade and he came through. He came through in the biggest possible and spot. There were times in the regular season where he wasn't able to make that play. Where no, you he gave, gave up turnovers. Yeah, left you and gave right. him the spotlight, and he crumbled. And that's why I was so impressed by that play because Matt Stafford basically said, "Blank the 0 and 53 here." So uh, I think he really put some of the naysayers away after that one. But they're going to show back up in this next round. I mean, this is the first time he's gone this deep in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken, in his career. And you got a hell of a matchup with San Francisco that beat you at the end of the regular season and yep. did so with their defense performing so well. So th- as much as you look at him, you're like, oh, wow, way to go, Stafford. He still has a, he still has another mountain to get over. He does. But what's weird is I didn't have the same feeling that I think you guys both had when they got the ball back. I expected Stafford to go down the field and get the Rams at least close to field goal range or at least. Potentially maybe a, a Hail Mary attack. Now, granted, when they did that QB drive, lost a little bit of faith. But the way he had been playing in that game, I felt pretty confident in him. Because it wasn't like the four turnovers they had were on him. Cam Akers had two fumbles. You had the weird snap that went behind him. So they weren't on him. I felt pretty comfortable in him driving the Rams down the field. Now, with that being said, yeah, he does have some naysayers to shut down again. Because... He is two and zero, or oh, excuse me, zero and two against uh, the 49ers this year, and they imploded in Week 18. They should have won that game. They dominated the first half and then fell apart because the the offensive line did not hold up, and Stafford kind of crumbled. And Sean McVay's got some critics to kind of shut down in this mm-hmm. one. He has not matched up well against Kyle Shanahan. If I'm not mistaken, I think he's lost the last six to Shanahan. And I think he's like three and seven in his time in L.A. So 
I think there's mo- almost more pressure on McVay this weekend than there is on Matthew Stafford. Yeah, four touchdowns, four interceptions this year against the 49ers for Matt Stafford. And this is why you bring him in. You brought him in to be able to make that play under duress in the biggest possible moment. I messed up. It was two plays later, not one play after that draw when he had the big play to Cooper Cup. The one before that was the 20-yard pass to Cooper Cup. Nonetheless, that was a huge, huge spot for him. He silenced his critics. The other guy that did that as well over the weekend was Josh Allen. Man, I I was critical of Josh Allen coming into this season. I thought he was in that like five to 10 range in the NFL. Really good quarterback guy that you love having if you're the Buffalo Bills, but just not quite in that same tier just yet with guys like Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. I wasn't willing to put him there in that category. Well, I'm not hesitant on that anymore. After what we saw from him yesterday in the big spot against a quality opponent on the road in the playoffs, man, it doesn't get more pressure packed than that. And time after time, he matched everything that Patrick Mahomes did. It was almost like a game of anything you can do, I can do better at the end of that one. Where it's like, hey, Patrick Mahomes, two minutes to go. You got the ball. You got to have it. Let's go see what you can do. And him and Tyreek Hill connect. Josh Allen, your turn. You got to go. Minute to play. What can you do? Boom, goes right down the field. He answers. Patrick Mahomes, 13 seconds. Now you got to go make another play. He goes down and does it again. It was miraculous to be able to watch as just football fans, but Josh Allen deserves all the praise in the world. Anything you're hearing today about, about Allen, as long as people aren't saying like he's better than Mahomes, that's not a fair take to have today, but anything below that, I'm in on, man. He's he's unbelievable, and this is going to be what the AFC looks like for at least the next three to five years. you got some great quarterbacks in this conference. I wouldn't say he's better than Mahomes, but I would have him as a 1B with Mahomes because I fully expect if Allen would have gotten that ball back, he probably would have done the same thing that Patrick Mahomes did there. That's fair. And the the part that got me with, with Josh Allen in that game was what I referenced earlier where it was fourth in 11 or something like that where all all – all Kansas City needed was a stop and you're talking about a win because they play the rest of the clock out and Josh Allen drops back and he evades two tackles two sacks and still picks up the first down with his legs two years ago Josh Allen he's laying on his ass at the midfield and they're losing that game because he throws of that. the ball straight up in the he air and Frank Clark it. is catching it running in for a touchdown and that's what was actually more impressive too like the front line for, for Kansas City is very dangerous with Ingram and Jones and Clark and then on top of it with Nick Bolton and Josh Allen prevailed with his legs so that was another step in uh, again I won't say he's better than Mahomes because Mahomes got the job done but right now it's 1A, 1B with those two as the best quarterbacks in the game. He only took two sacks in the two playoff games, zero interceptions, zero interceptions for Josh Allen against the Chiefs and against the Patriots. He wasn't perfect, but he was pretty damn close to perfect in those two games in the playoffs. And the only reason he's not continuing on to the AFC Championship game is because that game was played on on Sunday as opposed to next weekend. The, the Buffalo Bills are a really damn good team. And like for three other teams that lost this weekend, there are some big, huge questions facing them going into the offseason. The Bills are the one exception. I don't feel that way about them at all. They're right on the cusp. They got to find a way to basically bring the band back together again next season. But otherwise, make some upgrades where you can, and you're going to be right there again in 2023, barring something unforeseen. I think you put White on that team. Tredavious White? Yeah, and uh, part of me feels like Buffalo probably comes away with that game because he's such an impactful player in the secondary. Maybe. I I don't know if I would buy into that just because Mahomes played so well. I don't know if White is the difference maker there. But yeah, you bring back the band. I mean, you, you noticed, I think we all knew Josh Allen had the skill set 
heading into the playoffs. It was a matter of would he be that wide, wide-eyed kid that we saw like Kyler Murray, and just the stage was too big for him. Would he develop into growing into that leadership role and bringing all his abilities onto the field? He did, and he proved that he can handle playing with a Patrick Mahomes. And now there's no more question marks. Now it's basically build the team around him. And now it's not just okay. How do we build a team to become the be- the team in the best team in the AFC? You have to build a team to try and beat the Kansas City Chiefs. You now know what your boogeyman is, and they probably knew that heading into the- yesterday. But you got to find a way to beat them before you're going to be viewed as the best. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, time for the BK and Ferrario rewind. We'll get back into the Jordan Bennington conversation. He's going to be in net for the Blues tonight against the Flames. What are we expecting out of him? How does it play into the decision in the next couple of games? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Hey, if you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page. It's always available for you on the free 101 ESPN app and 101ESPN.com. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. As we rewind things today, Alex, one of the big questions going into tonight's game for the Blues is what Jordan Bennington looks like in net. The expectation is he will be the one that gets the start against Calgary. Alex, what are you looking for from him? Like, if I'm a Blues fan and I'm I'm hoping to see Bennington play well, of course, you'd like to see a shutout. But what specifically are we watching for? What does he need to improve upon from what he's struggled with of late? Well, I think you're looking for a confident guy in the net. And, you know, Tori Krug made a reference to why Villahuso looks so confident. And he said he's just not moving around as much. You see him stationary. You see him in his position. But he comes up with those big saves. And that's what Jordan Bennington was going against. You saw him kind of flailing around in net. We talked about it. I don't know Jamie Rivers talked about it in the past uh, of him maybe being a little too aggressive at the top of that crease rather than being the guy that we've seen in the past. So I'm just looking for him to have a body... Uh, you're, you're looking for him to look a lot more confident in net and just stable going post to post, making the easy saves rather than making them look a little more challenging. But I'll say this also, uh, you know, that entire locker room knows all of the conversations going on around Jordan Bennington. I would imagine this is probably going to be one of the more stingier games defensively for the blues in front of Bennington because they don't want this narrative to continue to surround Jordan. It'd be nice to have uh, Buchnevich back in the lineup tonight. Uh, two or fewer goals. Just get rid of this three goals or more stretch that we've seen from him. If you go two or fewer tonight, you feel pretty good about the Blues having a chance to win. Alex, we'll have your pregame coverage for that one coming up at 7 o'clock. You'll hear the puck drop right here on 101 ESPN at 8 o'clock. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll be back for an extended edition of BK and Ferrario tomorrow at 10 a.m. The Fast Lane coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.